Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. There's nothing left for us to do Find the strength to see this through We are the ones who will never be broken With our final breath We'll fight to the death We are soldiers, we are soldiers Logic, Political Talk, part of the Growing Conservative Conversation, and also part of the Patriot Journalist Network. And you can find the Patriot Journalist Network at www.patriotjournalist.com. Tonight's uh, topic is the U.S. Constitution Project, Inc. And, of course, we know that Jeb Bush and the GOP has joined the GOP race, as well as the others, uh, like Donald Trump. Uh, but one of the questions was tonight, is there room for more candidates? And we'll discuss that uh, more later on in the show. Uh, but tonight, uh, first, we will be speaking with our guest, uh, Norris Goff, who will be talking about his new organization, the U.S. Constitution Project, Inc. And I believe we have our guest on the line. So thank you very much, Norris, for coming to the show. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Just a, you're just a little low, but uh, if you can bring up the gain on that, uh, we appreciate it. And welcome to the show. Thank you. So we'll go ahead and start right to it because I know I have uh, some panelists on board who'd like to ask you some questions as well. Uh, so Good. let's go ahead and just start off by you telling us uh, why you did start the U.S. Constitution 
project, Inc., uh, when you started it, and uh, what motivated you to start the organization? Uh, <clears throat> I took a course last year because I had some time on my hand and I was curious uh, <clears throat> about the Constitution from Hillsdale College in <clears throat> Michigan. It was an online course. And I had a real surprise when we got – this is a 10-hour course, one hour a night, and we got to uh, night number seven, and uh, the lecture was Dr. Will Morrissey. Uh, he's uh, written a number of books. He's, he's a prominent person in his field, in the political field. Uh, but the thing that came as a shock to me was – he told us that in the late 1800s, after the Civil War, the, there were a number of uh, scholars, U.S. scholars, who went to Europe and especially to Germany for advanced education because there wasn't an adequate education at that time at the doctorate level in the United States. And there was, uh, at that time in Germany, something called the German State Theory. Uh, it was the uh, outgrowth of a book called The Theory of State, written by a Swiss jurist. And the, <clears throat> the education community in Germany adopted that and called it the German State Theory. And part of the content, or part of the theory, was that uh, <clears throat> governments evolve. Now think about a state theory. Just think about the concept of a state theory. This was written not long after uh, Dar Darwin wrote The Origin of Species, which certainly was a theory at the time, and uh, it, it was based on some reality. Uh, this particular book was not based on anything other than uh, imagination, the, the idea the guy had in his head that government should evolve and progress over time. And as I said, the, the German uh, education community adopted that whole concept, called it the German state theory, and these uh, American scholars went there, and they bought into this. Uh, not surprisingly, they went there for education. They had confidence in their professors. And uh, because Germany was a mature country, and the United States was new, relatively speaking, um, there was a, a conclusion that, therefore, the German government was far superior to American government and to our Constitution. So these scholars came back to the United States with their doctorates and took up uh, professional or teaching positions in uh, various institutions and uh, began uh, a whole concept of disdain for the Constitution. And s some of it was expressed very shortly afterwards by a person who was soon to be a candidate for presidency, Woodrow Wilson, spoke sarcastically of our Constitution and of the founders. Uh, the, the Germany, of course, the German government continued to progress, and you can put parentheses around that word progress, until we got to the Third Reich. Uh, by then, it had already metastasized throughout a lot of U.S. 
uh, society, especially in education and in political area, as as we see Woodrow Wilson and Woodrow Wilson, a Democrat, and Teddy Roosevelt, a Republican, were competing to wear the mantle of progressivism. Uh, and when when Wilson won that battle, uh, Teddy Roosevelt then founded the Progressive Party, which didn't go anywhere, uh, but each wanted to, to claim it for himself. Uh, well, by the time it became apparent that the theory was nonsense. Uh, as I said, Germany continued so to progress, so to speak, until until Hitler. Uh, but by then, it was too late. It had already metastasized in the United States. Uh, looking back at myself, this came as a shock to me. You know, I was I was a conservative since Barry Goldwater, and uh, and I read his book, Conscience of a Conservative. Uh, but I was never very active politically. I've been a, an entrepreneur, and I've been busy. I haven't had a lot of time to do things. I'm approaching 80 years old now, so that's why I've got a little bit more time on my hands. Uh, but during all these subsequent years between Barry Goldwater and now, uh, I, we've been preoccupied politically with the Cold War to some extent. And the whole concept of our Constitution versus progressivism Escape me, for one. There, there's plenty of scholars out there who know about this, and I was shocked. I said, well, if that was true, why wouldn't I know it? But the fact is we were preoccupied, as I said, with the Cold War, and etc. Even Ronald Reagan was kind of was preoccupied with the, with the Soviet threat. And in his speech, there is no left or right, only up and down. He was talking about up to freedom and down to communism. Um, Anyway, I've said I've, I've run my mouth nonstop here for quite a while, so maybe I better shut up and let someone else speak. No, no, that's no, that's uh, fine. I was just listening in rapt attention. It was definitely fascinating. Uh, we you generally give our guests, you know, kind of reign of the show uh, to ask, you know, answer the questions, you know, in whatever much time that it takes. We generally try to keep the answers to about eight minutes, but. Uh, yeah, if you can go on as that long. So we'll go ahead and move forward, and perhaps uh, later on in our roundtable discussion, we can talk more about that, because uh, history has always been one of my favorite subjects, you know, and interests, and definitely like to hear more about that. Especially, I've always been uh, fascinated with uh, German history, for one. Uh, and then we'll go to the second. Uh, so, you know, checking out your website, and I uh, was looking at the some other folks in your organization. So tell us a little bit more about them and uh, some of their backgrounds. Well, of course, the, the most prominent person in it is Dr. Will Morrissey. Uh, and uh, l let, me, uh, let me back up just a little bit and say, uh, you know, I am not the, the world's greatest authority. This is all new to me. Uh, this came last year, sometime uh, the first half of, of last year, when I took this course and uh, got interested in it. And I've been researching since then. Uh, and uh, I, I'm still an entrepreneur. Uh, my wife and I still earn our living by running a company. Uh, and uh, uh, there are people, uh, including Morrissey, uh, a guy named Ronald Pistrito, uh, uh, I should say a guy, a doctor, Ronald Pistrito, also a professor, uh, has written about this. Uh, and there are 
far more qualified people to talk about it than I. Uh, the issue is that they're not talking to us ordinary people. They're talking to each other. Uh, all the books that Dr. Willoughby, uh, Dr. Morrissey, excuse me, wrote, I haven't read any of them. I know he wrote them, and I only learned that since meeting him. Uh, anyway, Dr. Morrissey, uh, I invited to come aboard uh, because he's the authority. Uh, I, I wanted him to be the, the guy who checked the facts uh, and made sure we told it straight. Uh, and he agreed to do that. Uh, now, uh, I have no background in nonprofits in the past. I've got plenty of background in, in entrepreneurship and raising capital for businesses, uh, but the whole concept of the whole business of a nonprofit is new to me, and it's tough. It's tough to get money. Uh, this is a, a big project that's got to go on. For a long time, I'm not so much keen. I'm not keen on uh, my role in it. I'm keen on it getting done. I want it to be to get done. It's been 130 years since this whole thing, since this whole progressive thing started, and uh, uh, it, it might take that long to turn it around. Uh, and that's why I want us to produce. By us, I want this organization or my successors to to build a a documentary and deliver it to young people. Uh, the old, most of the old folks have already made up their mind what they're going to do or, or what they believe. Uh, but I want to get to the young people. They're not going to get it through the public schools. You know, the, the public schools have been That's dominated certain. by progressivism now for a hundred years, more and more so in recent years, as uh, as it came down from the universities uh, down into secondary schools and primary schools. Uh, so uh, we need, I want to see documentaries delivered to young people through the parent-teacher associations, directly to the individuals uh, in the classroom where we can do it. Uh, now, as far as, so there, there isn't a heck of a lot done yet. I, I'm getting around to answering your question about who are the other people involved? Well, there's no one else really involved. There's, uh, you know, we we have a corporation and we're required to have a couple of people as directors, uh, but one of them is one of them is in Michigan. I'm in Virginia, uh, so there's really no one else who's actively participating, other than Dr. Morrissey and me. And you know, we we haven't we have spent some time together, but not a lot. We communicate by email a lot. Um, so this is right now is a one-man show until we can get it. Uh, perhaps I can find a, another organization, a well-established organization like Heritage Foundation, or someone to pick it up and run with it. Uh, I want to. Uh, I'm going to stick with it and get it done, uh, but doesn't mean I'm going to do it myself. If I can build the organization, fine. But raising capital and, and for nonprofits in this. Uh, economy is is very difficult. You're competing with several thousand people out there trying to get elected for one thing or another. Half of them president. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about that uh, uh, later on this evening. Um, so, currently, would you say that the the raising funds have been your organization's uh, you know biggest obstacle? Uh, 
Well, we haven't raised a heck of a lot. Uh, most of what's been put in, I put it in myself, and I'm not wealthy. Um, so we, I have uh, all some 1,600 or so people that I've communicated with about it. Uh, I've been active on LinkedIn, uh, finding people who were sympathetic with this whole program, and as I said, I've got about 1,600. I haven't met them in person. Uh, many of them have come forward and said, you know, if there's any way I can help, fine. Uh, but they haven't donated. Uh, you know, the, the, the donation button is up there on our website. Uh, and so I can't spend full time beating that drum. Uh, I, I still am, uh, you know, I'm not getting any money. It's no, nobody is getting compensated out of this. But that that doesn't discourage me. Well, doesn't dis, it might disappoint me, but I'm not discouraged because I I have a great deal of confidence in in the value of of what we're proposing to do. Uh, and if I'm right, if if my judgment about it is right, and perhaps well, I'll get some feedback from your panelists. But if my judgment about it is right, it's got to be done, and nobody's doing it. More, more specifically, have you that, uh, have you been engaged in any conversation with any like large uh, political philanthropists or anything of that nature? Uh, yeah, I I have uh, communicated in one direction, one way. I haven't gotten much feedback. Uh, I have uh, identification of of a large number of people who have contributed to various conservative causes, but. Uh, they never heard of me before, so when when we come out of the blue, uh, it doesn't impress them that much. So the, yeah, there's one-way communication, not much coming back towards me. And conceding that it is a you know a new organization that hasn't even been a year yet, from my understanding, uh, that you've been around, uh, has there been any activities? Uh, that you've been engaged in in promoting the Constitution and what your organization is trying to do? Primarily, first of all, the main thing that I've done is is build this organization, this list of, of 1,600 individuals that I have in a database and their email addresses, and I've written to them from time to time and give them updates. Um, I have... Uh, I talked with Dr. Morrissey about possible other people who might be uh, interested in coming in and, and uh, taking a lead position. Uh, I, I want this to go – this needs to go long beyond my lifetime. It's not going to happen. This whole progressive thing isn't going to be turned around in 10 or 15 years or 20 years. It's going to take longer than that. It, it took it 130 years to get to where it is now. And, and you know, right now we have a progressive president who who does not believe in our constitution. He said so. Any anything he said about our constitution has been negative. So he believes in the same principles as Woodrow Wilson. Uh, and that that it took a long time to get to that point where. People are electing a president now who who disdains our Constitution and disdains the whole concept of separation of powers. Wilson spoke 
derogatory about uh, about the whole concept of separation of powers. He says the body can't exist that way. It's got to be one head in charge, and and that's the philosophy that Obama believes in. So this well, whole idea is got to be in that in many ways. Huh? I said he's shooting that in many ways. Well, and he said it. I mean, we have quotations for the man. Uh, I don't know if you are familiar with what I'm talking about or not, but uh, here's some quotations of Barack Obama in a radio interview in 2001. He criticized the Supreme Court, saying it didn't break free from the essential constraints that were placed by the Founding Fathers in the Constitution. He complains that generally the Constitution is a charter of negative liberties, says what the states mm-hmm. can't do to you, says what the government, federal government can't do, but doesn't say what the federal government or state government must do on your behalf. And if you followed his, his program, he has presented where at every step in a person's life they should get help from the federal government. This is what the the federal government must do on your behalf. You remember the pajama boy? Um, maybe you don't, but yeah, <laughs> be honest. He does not believe in the U.S. Constitution. He he criticizes it, and he believes that he he doesn't want any separation of powers. He doesn't need the Congress. He doesn't need the Supreme Court. He can run the whole thing, and that's exactly what Woodrow Wilson said. There's, we see a continuity over that hundred and however many, 120-year period between the two. Uh, so it's, it's, it's going to take a long time to turn that around. Right now, very few people, very few common, ordinary people like me are even aware of progressivism, aware that there is another philosophy that is opposed to our Constitution. I didn't know it. I hadn't thought about it you know, I hadn't, until... Dr. Morrissey got me started on this train of thought, but it's a, it's it's absolutely true. And most of now, Theodore Roosevelt, Republican, Woodrow Wilson, Democrat, and they were competing to be the 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 king of progressivism. Wilson won, uh, but it it's been a long time, and gradually today it seems like there aren't very many politicians in the Democratic Party who aren't progressive. It, it appears that they all fall in line and, and vote for Obamacare, every one of them. No, and there's definitely some Republicans in that mix, too, a lot, a lot of them, I would say. Uh, well, you're probably right. And and it's gotten mixed up. There's a lot of – now, the, the, every person, every American is going to claim the benefits of the Constitution, even if they don't believe in it. They're going to claim they have freedom of speech, and et cetera, et cetera. But there are some very distinct differences between these competing philosophies. Uh, Probably the most fundamental one. Our Constitution, Declaration of Independence, believes that there are some natural rights, those same ones that Woodrow Wilson spoke about and sort of made fun of, the Constitution and the, and the Declaration of Independence don't believe that human nature changes. In all of recorded history, it hadn't changed very much, not any measurable amount. But 
progressivism believes that human nature evolves. There are no fundamental rights. There's no such thing as an individual right. They're only the rights government gives. That's one of the most substantial differences, not the only one. Uh, we believe that legitimate government requires the consent of the governed. The the the, the uh, some of the members of the Constitutional Convention didn't believe, didn't agree with the concept "we the people." They wanted to say "we the states," but in the mm-hmm. end, "we the people" won. And what that meant was that it had to go back to the people, to every individual state of the 13 colonies. They had to vote on it, and and it was passed in all states. And that gives the term "we the people" some more, something more than just the words. It's real. Um, but you know, most recently uh, th- there was uh, this guy Jonathan Gruber. I know you couldn't have avoided hearing him. He's in, and to to quote him, a lack of transparency is a huge political advantage. Basically, call it the no, stupidity sir. of the American voter, or whatever. Jonathan Gruber speaking. But you know where he got that? Herbert Crowley, one of the early progressives, was the founder of of the New Republic. And he said the national advance will always be impeded by these misleading and erroneous ideas. It should be impeded by them because at the bottom, ideas of this kind are merely an expression of the fact that, and here it is, the average American individual is morally and intellectually inadequate to a serious and constant wow. conception of his responsibility as a Democrat. So there is a, a belief that... You, you, Ordinary people can't decide things. It's got to be, you know, uh, perf- uh, experts. Experts must write the law. If necessary, need not share them with the public or even with the Congress. And that's that's another one of the progressive differences. And it's documented. I mean, I'm not making this up. And there are more. I, I don't want to bore you with all this stuff. Oh, no, gosh, it's fascinating. I'm sure it's fascinating to the audiences as well, as well as our panelists, which we will be bringing in shortly. I just got a couple of questions in, and I see okay. uh, a number of them on the line. Uh, first, we'll uh, bring our good friend and panelist Joe from New York in, and then we'll have uh, Dan come in after that, and then we have Kelly on the line. So uh, after two more questions, we'll go ahead and bring our, our panelists in. And first uh, is – Tell us about your documentary that you'll be working on, or, or perhaps it's complete by now, uh, called The Hijacking of America. Yes. Uh, that, that's, a, uh, that's a copyrighted term. Uh, we want that to be the name of the documentary. In fact, we might change the name of the corporation to that. Um, uh, anyway, uh, it doesn't exist yet. I'm working on it, but I'm the, uh, I'm the only person who's, sort of full-time working on it. Uh, and the material that you see on our website all is going to be incorporated in there. So that's the beginning of it. So let's go ahead and uh, tell us what the website is. Uh, no, I'm talking about the usconstitutionproject.org. USConstitutionproject.org. There you go. <laughs> that's what I was trying to get out of you. <laughs> 
the U.S. Catfish Project dot org. Great. Now there is an abbreviation okay, uh, for it, if you, but it, it may be harder to remember. USCPINC dot org. Abbreviate U.S. Yeah, that's uh, I believe that's one of the uh, websites that I was uh, looking at. Uh, and speaking of that, on your website you posed a question. This will be the last question for bringing the panelists in. Uh, but first, before we bring the panelists in after this question, we'll hear from the Patriot Journalist Network. Is uh, on your website you posed a question: Why can't we compromise and meet in the middle? Are you talking about bipartisanship? Or are you talking about something else? I'm, this is a general question that's asked. I, you know, I'm not asking that question per se. I'm quoting that question. As millions of Americans ask that question. You know, why why can't the government get anything done? And I'm answering that question by saying that there are two different philosophies among our politicians that don't agree on many things. There those any who believe in the Constitution literally who believe in it, and those who believe in Woodrow Wilson's progressivism are not likely to agree on many things. They're not likely to agree on health care, for example. You can't compromise between free enterprise and a a, a government-mandated program. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, it does. We'll hear some comments uh, from our folks we have on the phone here. Uh, But first, let's hear from the Patriot Journalist Network. All right. You're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at patriotjournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. And, of course, folks, you can find the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. And so let's go ahead and bring in our good friend Joe uh, from New York, and then I'm going to let the panelists take over for a bit. Uh, So thank you very much, Joe, for coming to the show. How are you? Pleasure to be on, uh, Robert. Thank you. Norris, uh, hello, great to have you. Go ahead. How are you, Norris? It's 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 very rare that I'm rendered speechless, and I I have to say, you have you are someone who has rendered me speechless in quite a while. I I literally was getting goosebumps when you were speaking because you have so much passion, and for you to uh, take up this initiative. At such a late stage in in your life, it, it just embodies American patriotism, and it gives a message. It sends the message to everyone that it's 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 never too late to try. And well, that's flattering, I think, Joe. That's flattering. Uh, tell me how to get it moving better. Definitely, um, I I think your ideas are phenomenal. As a matter of fact, I did ask Robert to forward my information after the show. Uh, It's funny when you were mentioning the Heritage Foundation because I happen to know the regional manager of the Heritage Foundation. I last saw him at a function earlier in June, 
Jason Stanley, so I'd love to put you in contact with him. I think he would love uh, to hear more about your organization, and I think a lot of what you're doing in your organization fits the theme of what the Heritage Foundation is currently doing, which their project is called Reclaim America. And um, I would definitely love to put you in contact with Jason. I think he would really be uh, extremely interested in hearing about your organization. And it's just amazing uh, how much you're able to accomplish with the very few resources that you have. Uh, but I do think that your your prayers are going to be answered because I, I, I definitely am going to put you, I'm going to try my best to put you in the right hands and and. and Get uh, get your organization in the right direction. I definitely think the Heritage Foundation would be very, very interested, and so would my uh, fellow uh, co-workers within the Tea Party Patriots. So you, uh, like I said, once again, uh, amazing, amazing, Norris, amazing, truly amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you, Joe, for your flattering words, and, and I look forward to, to communicating directly with you beyond this conversation. The honor and pleasure will be mine, Norris. And definitely, it's one of the things you guys know, uh, at least regulars on the show, is I do a lot of uh, working behind the scenes. So while we're, you know, talking with uh, the panelists uh, there tonight, Norris, I will be sending you that information. And, Joe, and of course, as you know, uh, we are going to keep you uh, on the line uh, to continue our conversation with our guest tonight. Uh, But let's go ahead and bring in... Our panelist, Dan, from Pennsylvania. Thank you very much, Dan, for coming to the show. How are you? Multitasking, uh, as usual, listening intently uh, and uh, managing to do two other things at once. You know how it used to be? I could do one thing kind of well. <laughs> the busier, I'm sure our guest knows this, the busier you get, the more you find that it's not even necessarily out of choice, but just out of necessity, you find new ways of doing things and new energy comes up. Listen, I've been uh, I've been taking some notes. Interesting that you mentioned that 130-year figure and progressivism and education. There's something most people are not aware of when it comes to education. The way that we educate our, our students, this top-down hierarchical idea of a principal with a vice principal and teachers and an order, that's German. That's Prussian, actually. It's not even just German. Uh, it's from where, where uh, the, the militarists came from in East Germany, uh, near the Polish border in Prussia. And they had this idea of Staatism, the state. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be rough, but just like if you, you really can't say anything in French without sounding like you're, you're no. in love, it's hard to say anything in German without saying you're really angry. I, nothing against German. I love it. It's a beautiful language. Russian is a beautiful language, too. I even like Chinese, but I prefer English, and I wish they'd speak it here, especially in our schools. Uh, 130 years ago, about that time, there were some academics, some young folks who went over, and they, they fell in love with the Prussian method of education. It was so orderly, and they brought it over here, and just like you said, they started in the universities and the teachers' colleges, and we went from a thing where... Uh, it was a very organic way that people learned in this country. You had one-room schoolhouses in rural areas, and uh, basically children of mostly all ages in urban areas, and they were learning skills. Okay, So it wasn't uh, grade-appropriate or not grade-appropriate. It was 
what's appropriate for you? What do you need to learn? What are you good at? How fast can you learn it? Uh, if it took you two or three years to, to get the basic math because you just weren't that swift with math like me, then nobody made fun of you. You needed to know how to count things and multiply and divide and all the rest of that stuff if you were going to do business, if you were going to run a home, if you were going to do anything. Um, and if you were really good at it, you could move, move very quickly through that book and and go on to the next book and the next book, and pretty soon you might have somebody who's particularly gifted who might be 10 years old teaching an 18-year-old. And nothing was really made of this because it was just what you're good at. The 18-year-old was good at other things. And, and it was an organic way of helping <clears throat> that worked really well. A lot of people didn't even go to schools. Um, this, the whole school concept came up when we had all these new territories well, actually, it started in the east um, in places that were uh, well-established cities, and it was a, a really good idea to provide public education and to tax for that because it has to be paid for. Um, and there were some awesome schools, but they didn't do it the way that we do it today. It was more of an organic thing. Uh, Boston Latin was the first and, and still extant high school in the country. My own high school, Central High in Philly, second oldest in the country, um, and it was a place where you could excel at your own speed. And while everybody had to learn basics, you didn't necessarily have to learn everything because you weren't going to need everything. Um, and, and it was good. You talked about uh, how it's going to take us a long time because it took 130 years to get here. I don't think so. I don't think it's going to take us a long time. See, we're not handicapped by having to lie. And we're not handicapped at having to disguise the, the way things are, the truth. Human nature is truth. It's really easy to talk to anybody about human nature. I mean, that's why gossip is so popular, uh, stories about people. Everybody you know. It doesn't matter what walk of life they are, what age they are, even necessarily what country. You start talking about this one and who they're dating and that one and uh, how they raise their kid and, um, you know, how they, they run their life. And we all listen, whether we want to repeat it or not, that's a different story. But we listen and we go, yeah, I get that because it's, it's true. If you're, and I don't like the word progressive. They call themselves that. They're really not, no different from uh, monarchists. They're no different from uh, any ism that gets hijacked and turned into a uh, a vehicle for a small elite to seize power and take it from everybody else. But you notice they're not really taking it. Um, they're kind of conning us out of it. And that's why it took 130 years. That's why even to this day, even Barack Obama, who, by the way, is not the only progressive president. We've had progressive presidents for quite some time, with rare exceptions, um, He's just the, the latest, the culmination, the, the acme, the, the, you know, the zenith. Lots of good words in English. That's one of the reasons I like it. Um, but you know, they have to try and convince you that people aren't the way they are and that things that, that people know are true aren't true. And, of course, it's difficult. <clears throat> of course, it takes time. Of course, they have to play games. I mean, I remember uh, there was... Uh, I think it was Barbara Boxer or one of those, uh, Feinstein. No, it was Feinstein from California, uh, Senator. And she was talking about human nature. 
And she even mentioned it by name, and she said was talking about guns because she doesn't like guns. For some reason, she thinks that inanimate objects are are just really, really bad and dangerous. And like you said, us common people just we just we just can't be trusted with with dangerous things you know, like knives and fire. You know, my goodness, uh, anything might happen. Look out! There's a heavy rock; it might attack you. But she said that. Uh, if, if you're confronted in a school shooting situation, a mass shooter, as they call it, an active shooter in a movie theater, why just just disarm? Just put your guns down. And, and of course, human nature, according to her, is that the other person's just going to put their gun down, too. And I hear crickets because nobody gets it. There, there's not one person out there who <laughs> isn't, like, on drugs, and I mean some really seriously good drugs, uh, who who couldn't who could l- listen to that and go yeah that's true because yeah. it's not true yeah, it's well, just not true if, if you need the reassurance Dan I'm following you well thank you <laughs> yeah, uh, no I'm pretty confident guy um, and 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 you are too and and I appreciate the fact that you're working like so many of us are practically alone and you have these sixteen hundred people and I I can just guess that. They give you a lot of um, verbal support, and, and occasionally they'll share the stuff that you're doing. And wow, it's so great! And, and when you need something, it's really hard to get them to do something. And, and, and by the way, that mm-hmm. doesn't mean they're bad people. Uh, it means that this is human nature. Let's talk well, about busy. human nature and organizations. Go ahead. Uh, I'm just saying they're busy making a living. Well, yeah, um, they have families. Uh, some of them have illnesses. Um, we had a minor tragedy. I mean, to us, it was a major tragedy. But in the scheme of things, uh, one of our old uh, cats passed away this week, and it was really—that's a big deal to a family. And yeah, it can throw you for a loop. Um, it's even worse when it's when it's a family, you know, an actual human being, or or somebody loses a job. We get this, but <clears throat> right now, people like yourself and others that I know, a lot of good people, we're the ones who are setting an example. And I don't expect, human nature tells me, don't get disappointed that a whole bunch of people aren't suddenly doing everything I'm doing. Uh, It's going to take some time and not 130 years, but what it's going to take is winning. And that's what we're doing. Because people like winners, that's human nature. And people like bandwagons, that's human nature. And they love to be part Mm -hmm. of something. So when I present them with some idea, and I've been doing this for years, here's an idea, come on, let's go do this. And, you know, uh, we're gonna have, we, we had a rally recently, and we had a really good turnout, okay, like 100 people plus. But we had like, I think it was 500 or so that said they were going. And it was a beautiful day, and it was in a, a park at Washington Crossing. And uh, bikers, and militia, constitutionalists. Uh, we had, uh, you know, army people. For, you know, the, the decorated servicemen. We had a lot of good stuff, banners, and and it was a good event. And it's on YouTube, and it's getting some play there, which is really, really good. Because who knows? Maybe a couple of months, and it could go viral. Who knows? Um, and I'm pleased that I went. But a lot of people were all oh, those people. They suck. They said they'd be here, except for the few who have the really good excuses. I'm glad they said so, and I'm glad they meant to. And I'm not glad they didn't show up, but I sure hope that human nature, that they either feel guilty enough to do something, whether it's to show up at my event next time or somebody else's or 
fill out a petition or call their congressman or make a YouTube video or go protest at a courthouse or go to one of those interminable meetings that we all have to go to that last for hours and it seems like, you know, just horrible. I love them, but they're horrible. Um, and, and, and guilt is a big part of that because human nature says what motivates people is is love. And what motivates people is fear, and what motivates people is anger. But I look at the long term of what motivates people. What motivates people the most, and, and this is the way society used to be run, was shame. Uh, literally, okay? Because anger is going to make you do something quickly, on the spur of the moment, and it's really hard to maintain. And usually it ends up being a mess because it's really hard to control anger. Okay, so we got anger. Fear. Fear generally is a negative motivator. It doesn't generally motivate you to do anything unless it's something desperate just to get the hell away. It means run or stay in place and hide and don't move. Stay very still. Uh, love, and, and that's the one that works for me, uh, is is my motivator because I love my kids' generation and the next one that's going to come along. And like yourself, uh, I'm not going to be here forever. And whether we win in... in uh, five years or 50 years, uh, I, it's going to be a fight that's ongoing. I would really like to see freedom, even if I don't see it. I'd like to, to have the feeling that when, when my time is up and I clock out, that that there's still a chance in this world for some some baby who's born to be somebody, to make it or break it on their own, to, to really have a chance at doing what they want, not what somebody else decides for them. So that's that's the love part of it. I, I love people enough, and God help me, I don't know why. <laughs> they are very disappointing. Uh, but I love them enough to want to the, what's best for them, and what's best for them is not what I want for them. It's what they want for them, and that's freedom. But for most people, most people are very social creatures. They're not like us, in a sense. We're those. When I say us, I mean the leaders who have stepped up, I'm going to include myself in that, although it's kind of egotistical or whatever sounding, the people who are going for first. That's all it means. It doesn't mean you're, you're necessarily any brighter or you're necessarily any anything, except maybe a little braver, because you're willing to go first when and hoping people will come after you. That's leadership. Um, the confidence that we have is rare. Most people are not leaders. It's okay. They can be incredibly great people and do wonderful things that are valuable without them. We, leaders can't lead without followers. We get that. But what, what motivates people is peer pressure, which is shame. Okay? I want those people, when they, they don't show up, when they, they can't make it, when they don't really do very much, to look at the posts and look at the information and say, look what these people are doing for me. Damn, I... I should be doing more. I, I feel kind of guilty because that's the motivator. If you think about, I don't know, PTA meetings, you know, church meetings, if you think about any of these groups where you've got to sit there until your ears are bleeding and then your butt falls asleep and you just can't stand another moment of people droning on the way I am, uh, the reason <laughs> they show up is because they feel bad. They did bad things in their life. They're trying to make up for it. Anyway, um, I do go on a little bit too long, so I don't want to monopolize here. Until we uh, talk about uh, breaking the eighth deadly sin there. Uh, and speaking well, see, of that's Kelly, he's an engineer. Uh, he's got to number everything and, and have everything be orderly. 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit like that. I'm kind of in the middle there. Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, bring it back uh, to Norris, and then we're going to bring Kelly in. And then we also have Ed on the line uh, who'd like to chime in as well. Uh, so let's go ahead and, uh, Norris, if you'd like to respond to any of that, then we'll bring in Kelly, and then Ed will uh, get you in too. Go ahead, uh, Norris. And then after well, Ed, we'll I've, bring it back to you, uh, Joe. Go ahead. I, I've, I've appreciated all I heard. Uh, and one thing, Robert, I, I'm expecting that you're going to send me information on, like, Dan probably has a last name, and, and and Joe has a last name. I don't know who these people are, so I'm sure you'll you'll fill me in on that eventually. Yes, I, I already sent yeah, I already sent you uh, the contact information. I already emailed you the contact information for uh, Joe okay. for Jason. Okay, and and I yeah, shut so my I, email I, I down. Said, I didn't want it dinging while we're talking. Uh, <laughs> if you, no if you're on, are you on Facebook, uh, Norris? Uh, are you on any any social uh, media or? <laughs> Not, uh, primarily, the one I've been most active on is LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn. I have a okay. Facebook account, but <clears throat> um, I don't like it as well. I don't. I don't like the uh, anonymity. I mean, so many strangers come around that, uh, and say they want to link, uh, meet with, or be, befriend me, or something, and I haven't found oh, it yeah. working well for me. So. Uh, I'm st- I'm sticking to pretty much to LinkedIn, which is a one-on-one relationship, and very uh, professional. Yes. Yeah. Um, Actually, that's I believe that's how we connected. Uh, North was on. Uh, that's uh, that's was correct. On You're one of those 1,600 people, Robert. Oh, great. I'm not sure who invited whom, but somebody has to extend an invitation, and they got to be close already. They got to be have common. Uh, connections uh, previously uh, and then the other one accepts or not so I don't know how that happened in our case uh, there's uh, I've got a uh, I could talk on uh, a long time but uh, but I don't know it seems uh, I, I don't know where to start or where to continue so I'm uh, are, are there any questions well let's go ahead and uh, bring in Kelly then if he's got some questions and then uh uh, see what Ed's got to say. So go ahead, uh, Kelly. Thank you very much for calling to the show. Hey, hello, everybody. Uh, <clears throat> thanks, Nor- uh, Norris, for coming. And, hello, uh, Kelly. But, yeah. Also, that you were in the Army. Thank you for your service to our country. Um, I was drafted. I was the last draft, not quite, but I was drafted in 1955. Was that the Korean? No. Nope. I was in peacetime. But they were drafting, and and they sent me to Fort Sam Houston to make a medic out of me, and then they sent me to Japan to work in a post office. But that's an interesting. I did three years, and I got more compensation after I was discharged because they put me through. I got my bachelor's degree, and you know, people from West Virginia uh, and southeastern Ohio, they don't know much about college and stuff like that. Uh, if, if those of us who get through high school think that we're on top of the world, uh, but anyway, the 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 GI Bill uh, put me through uh, a, my undergraduate degree, and then I got a master's later on with some other help. So sorry oh, for the cool. corruption. Yeah, no, that's uh, yeah. I, well, I only have a degree or two in engineering. Um, 
But uh, I didn't know any better. My, my siblings went off to college. So did I. That's what you do, I guess. Didn't know any better. But anyway, um, let's see here. <laughs> the uh, um, I first of all have to wish everybody happy Magna Carta Day. That happened on Monday, the 800th anniversary of the Magna Carta, which came at a cost of blood. It was a revolution before and after it was signed. Uh, actually sealed. First one to get it sealed. And then after that, uh, King didn't want to do it. He had nullified by the Pope, so it was another war. The guy's name was Bad King John of England. And um, this is one of the several principles of the Magna Carta were made their way into our Constitution. Right of free speech, uh, due process, trial by jury, um, other other things I won't go into. But I want to ask people what the two most important features were of Magna Carta. Is, this an Is that a general question? question, Kelly? Is that for our guests? <laughs> well, okay, I'm saying it rhetorically. All right, the two most important things about Magna Carta was it number one, the law was now above the king. First above time king. in modern history. It's helped uh, Great Britain last 900 years when you consider the Norman Conquest of 1066. And uh, since then, over 100 nations have fired their king and got a parliament or representation. And then the other significant thing is the Magna Carta was written by the people. It's actually written by the barons and Langton, the Archbishop of Canterbury, penned it in Latin. But it was it was a written law by the people, and now it was above the king. And, of course, that's a contrast to how things are done today when the progressives get their jobs in the government where a Republican or Democratic congressman says, oh, here's an idea, and they go over to a government agency to write the law. This is called law by agency, which is a real problem. And so the Magna Carta wasn't that way, but had the king had the idea of law by agency, Bad King John would have said to everyone, hey, you know, that's a good idea, the Magna Carta, that's a good idea. I'll tell you what, I will have my royal scribes write the law for you. And, of course, the royal scribes, had they written their law, the Magna Carta would come out as such. Thou, and it would be in Old English, of course, thou shalt do as king saith, or loseth thy head. Nicely so says put. Don Gruber. <laughs> so, um, I yeah, your studies of progressivism is quite fascinating, and I wanted to know if you, which I really I really like your point. 120 years they've been whittling away at us, um, which they want to have their king, which would say, "Thou doest as progressive statist or diest." Right. Um, I have seen their 120-year salt in several, several um, approaches. Of course, the monetary system, the Federal Reserve, um, bribing congressmen. Um, let's see how else we got this going on here. Well, got the whole praying. administration system, the whole administrative business. Yeah, administrative law, law by agency, um, land is another one planning departments, how they choke the supply of land, um, social benefits, social security, 
alphabet agency soups or alphabet soup agencies. I get them confused, alphabet agency soup or alphabet soup agencies, whatever. You know, the three-letter names you can, you know, like, by the way. They all give you a digestion, so. Yes. (laughs) There you go. The IRS is one of the progressive ideas. And by the way, when you put the and IRS together, it spells theirs. Theirs. That's what the theirs. Yes, that's what the progressive want. But I, I'm just kind of curious if you, and I'd love to give you the floor for just you know as long as you want. But of course, it's not my show. But I wanted to see if you have seen this. Um, I can't say frontal assault, but more the backdoor assault, in in many 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 different approaches, uh, aspects of our life. Well, uh, the short answer is yes. Uh, On the other hand, I've got to say, uh, this whole study is relatively new to me. And uh, uh, I'm I'm sort of full-time on it, part-time. Part part of the time, I'm full-time, all right? But I still have a lot of responsibilities. I have a business uh, my wife and I operate, and and that takes a lot of my time. So uh, I'm... I haven't. I'm still learning. I'm still progressing, if I'm, if you'll excuse the term, and uh, in, in getting my arms around the whole thing. Uh, for example, I just started reading Magna Carta, just just by chance in the last few days. Uh, I've never read it before in my life, uh, and so so there's. I, I probably don't. Uh, I'm probably not able to really positively say yes to your question and, and give you examples. I, I I know, as I said, I know about the administrative, whole business administrative stuff, which which Wilson promoted. Uh, uh, beyond that, I, I can't really cite examples. Not necessarily looking for examples. It's just more of the methodology, like uh, pack, pack uh, school boards with socialists and all the, even the rural counties, because who wants to be on school board? Planning commission is another one. Get your liberal socialists in there wherever you can. City council members. Um, even another one I've seen lately is the city managers and uh, the Department of Community Development. I'm out here in the once great state of California here on the left coast. But uh, we got a buddies on city council that said, yeah, we have some planners and we have a planning commission, and they're just a bunch of leftists, and we ignore them as city council members. But they, you know, I, I've seen this. I mean, it's a, it's a full-on frontal backdoor uh, assault, if you will, by okay. so many different strategies. The, yeah, the, the integration of the whole thing. Uh, and, for example, right now I, I've seen uh, a number of references recently to uh, attempts to require – the uh, HUD to to take action to force uh, low-cost housing and to higher price developments, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that, yeah, that happened uh, around the neighborhood I grew up in. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, lo- and looking for uh, the the result, the measure results rather than the intent. If if you if you end up with a neighborhood that by chance is uh, is not integrated, then the the result is not is not effective. They need effective results as opposed to uh, effective intent. 
Mm. Well, that sense. Yeah, def- oh, yeah, no, definitely a good way of putting it. Uh, and so, yeah, at this point, let's go ahead and bring in uh, Ed. Uh, thank you very much, Ed. Uh, thank you for holding uh, and coming to the show. How are you tonight? All right. Uh, happy Magna Carter Day. I think that's uh, one of the positions that we need to start with because that is what we're up against today is what they were up against 800 years ago, and we're still fighting the same battle. And that battle is basically those who want to centralize power against those who want decentralized power. King John wanted all the power. He wanted to centralize it. The barons and the other people of England got together and said, no, we're not going to let you centralize this power. We're going to share the power, and we're going to put you know you under the same power that we're under. So, you know, that was the beginning of it, and it just blossomed from there. It took 800 years or 600 years to get to uh, our founding fathers. And our founding fathers, when they got there, they definitely wanted decentralization of power. They did not want centralization of power. Unfortunately, the coup at Philadelphia gave us the Constitution. The Constitution itself that came out of Philadelphia wasn't that great, but... The Anti-Federalists, who were given the name Anti-Federalists against the Federalists, got together and brought us out the Bill of Rights. And the Bill of Rights is really a continuation of the Magna Carta. So our real freedoms are from the Bill of Rights and from the decentralization of power. Those people, the Anti-Federalists, they were for decentralization of power and were the strongest states' rights activists you would ever meet. So today, our main battle and our main focus has to be coming back to our states and getting our states in order. And states' rights will over-Trump and put down the monster, the beast in D.C. That's who we have to fight. And we can do it by bringing back states' rights and standing up to the beast in D.C. And when we do that, we cut it one-fiftieth. One-fiftieth, because there's 50 states. We need to get away from the beast in D.C. and bring our power back home locally where it should be and where the people that actually brought the Magna Carta to King John would want it to be. So our battle is right there. It's between the people, the anti-federalists and the federalists. The federalists want a strong, powerful, centralized government. They are the Republicans. They are the Democrats. They are in D.C. We are the anti-federalists. We are the ones who want to bring back states' rights, local rights, keep the power home with we, the people. The Norse uh, may comment on that, and then we'll bring it back to you, Joe. Uh, the, the main comment I need to make is that I'm uh, I'm a newbie compared to you guys. I've been I've been one year focusing part time on this material, and and I've got a long ways to go, and I I detect in uh, the four of you so far, Joe, Dan, Kelly, and Ed, uh, a, a lot more perception, a lot more general knowledge, and and uh, of, of these subject, of this whole subject matter, than than I have. So I'm a, a better listener at this point than I am a talker. Well, there definitely has been a yeah, and I appreciate that, Norris. It definitely has. Uh, the great panel that we've got on board here on uh, Bard's Logic Political Talk, that's uh, that's for certain. I'm very happy to have uh, them as continually uh, coming on the show. 
and hopefully we'll hear from uh, Cindy tonight as well. Uh, but, yeah, it's definitely appreciated. So let's go ahead and bring it back to you, Joe, uh, if you'd like to make any comment or have any other uh, questions. And then, of course, we'll go uh, back down the line to you, Dan, and then uh, Kelly, and then uh, we'll, you know, bring it back around. And at some point we will get to our other discussion about the developing 2016 uh, GOP primary race. Go ahead, Joe. Definitely, Norris. Uh, with all due respect, I definitely think you give yourself less credit than you deserve. You seem to be very knowledgeable, very uh, driven, a very passionate American patriot. I commend you. And uh, this is for the other panelists on the show, in- including uh, our wonderful host Robert and uh, Norris. Well, thanks, Jeff. Uh, my uh-huh. pleasure. You were speaking about the Magna Carta. I wanted to ask if anyone has ever watched the first thing that came to mind when Kelly, who is our constitutional scholar, which he has rightfully earned those stripes, as we call him on the show, uh, Ironclad, which came out in 2011. It was a movie about the Magna Carta. Awesome I don't know movie. if anyone has seen that movie. Kelly, you've seen it? Oh, I love it. Oh, I've seen it so many times. It's ridiculous. Robert, Never really have you seen Ironclad? Ironclad movie, yeah, about the castle at Rochester. All right, the it came out um, in 2011. Yeah. You know, the cast of Paul Gamati, he was, uh, played King John, and then uh, there was James uh, Purifoy, who was Thomas Marshall, and uh, Kate Mara played uh, Lady Isabel. Uh, Norris, have you ever watched the movie Ironclad? Nope, I have not. Uh, I just made a note of it. Uh, it's I a great movie. I, Probably available somewhere uh, at any time, is it, on demand? Uh, yeah, it's on DVD. It came out in 2011, so you probably okay. could. Uh, I usually buy my DVDs on BestBuy.com because I get them for uh, about $9.99. They're pretty cheap. Right. But I'll get know, it. Look up Ironclad. came out in 2011. Yeah, that, that, that movie is somewhat based on the true story of what happened. Is that, you know, <clears throat> like I said before, Magna Carta, it was a five-year bloody revolution, and then they, it was really a treaty of peace, Magna Carta, or Great Charter. And then the king immediately went to the pope and had it annulled. Langton of Canterbury, who wrote it, he almost mm-hmm. uh, got kicked out of the Catholic Church for penning it in Latin. The reason why Latin is because that was the only well-established language in England. So he had to appeal to the pope, because the other archbishops were going to kick him out of the church for doing this. He appealed to the pope. And then um, the Pope said, okay, stay out of England until peace breaks out. Well, meanwhile, um, meanwhile, um, King John, bad King John, was going around killing barons, and they started another war, and they, they hold up in Rochester Castle, which held uh, the waterways and main accesses, until the French came, and then in, in, in 1216, uh, King John died of dysentery. But the whole point of this, that movie is stunning because you realize, oh, my gosh, these men knew what freedom was, and they were willing to fight and die for it. And uh, it's kind of a low-budget field, kind of, kind of gory, but it, it, it gives you a really good feel. You know, kind of like um, The Patriot with Mel Gibson. This does the same for, for Magna Carta. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and you know why, Kelly? Because it's, there are a lot of times when they make movies – based on, uh, that are nonfiction, uh, based on true stories, but sometimes when they tend to make the movies, they deviate away from the actual historical perspective. And mm-hmm. what's great about Ironclad is it, it, it's so close to the historical uh, perspective behind the Magna Carta, and also 
I agree with you with The Patriot, which came out in 2000 with Mel Gibson. If anyone hasn't watched that, with also Heath Ledger, it's also an amazing movie about the uh, the Revolutionary War. And, uh, yeah, that, that that that's also one of my favorite movies of all time. So, Norris, if also you uh, haven't watched that, The Patriot? No, the Patriot yes. is, uh, unfortunately, extremely inaccurate in so many ways. Definitely. I would agree, Dan. I would agree, similar to The Ironclad. And um, it, it you could get all these movies, like I said, I mean, you know, Amazon.com, but I also highly recommend Best Buy because uh, they're pretty cheap and, uh, you know, uh, Okay. They're amazing movies, so I'm, I've made a note. At I'll get it. I'll get them both. <laughs> no, 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 Dan. Did you say that the Patriot is inaccurate? Is that what you said? Yes, yes, very much so. Uh, none of the stuff that that happened uh, in the movie happened in real life. They they based that uh, nasty colonel in the British Army on Bannister Tarleton, who never massacred um, or killed a bunch of innocents. He was a nasty guy. But he, it wasn't like that. And um, the, the whole series of events leading up in the war to the, uh, in the south to uh, Yorktown was completely different. Basically, uh, Nathaniel Green, who was a, uh, a Quaker who got kicked out of his own community for stepping up and deciding to fight, a uh, Quaker from up north in New Hampshire, uh, I think it was. It might have been Massachusetts. But uh, he became one of Washington's generals just due, due to sheer competence, Really quiet fellow, but really, really good at what he did. Um, and Washington sent him south to try and help uh, Marion, and Francis Marion, the Swamp Fox, they called him, and a bunch of other people uh, with their efforts because they, they were an agrarian society. They didn't have population concentrations for the most part. Uh, it was pl- uh, plantations, lots of open space. And the British were offering to allow all the slaves to be free if they would fight for them. And, and they, they weren't doing it because they wanted freedom, although the British were the first to abolish slavery uh, several decades before we did. But that wasn't in, they just wanted to win. So what Green did was he took the militia, which was never an effective fighting force back then. And his small group of regulars, including Daniel Morgan, who was uh, from Pennsylvania, who was basically, he led sharpshooters, snipers the first snipers, they had rifles, and they knew how to use them. And he, he led um, the British forces under Howe on a, a chase. It was a deliberate retreat. It was over a 1,000 miles. And they would constantly engage the British, cause them to dig in, cause them to start fighting, and then break off. He used the militia, Green did, uh, as a diversionary force, as a fronting force, but he kept his regulars sound, and they lost very few men. In the meantime, the British were losing men at every engagement, and they were losing men to the, the woods, to the disease, to, to lack of food, to all kinds of problems. Um, there was one river in uh, Carolinas where uh, Green was, it was brilliant. He gets to this river has his men grab up every single boat up and down this river for like 50 miles and bring them in. Ferries his entire army across, and basically he's on the other side, a little bit further because it's within rifle shot, but he's on the other side of the river, and he's taunting the British. The British know he's there. They can't get across the river. In the meantime, he takes his army moves the boats overland, gets back in the boats, crosses the river back, gets on the British flank and rear, and attacks them. I mean, he was brilliant. 
And we actually won a few battles, uh, Battle of Cowpens, etc. But what he did was he bled them in a classic guerrilla warfare movement that was never done more brilliantly, uh, led them north until they reached Yorktown. And if it wasn't for the French, we still would have been fighting another few years. Benjamin Franklin and John Adams over there did a tremendous job of getting the French on our side. Because uh, if you think about it, the French hated the English, but they kind of liked monarchy a lot. <laughs> so anyway, there's a lot there's a lot to history. I, I you know what I don't understand? Why are people bored? Well, but why are people bored by history when they love uh, gossip? It's the story of people. <laughs> it is. It's, it's the story of what. What people did in a situation, and you can look at it, you can learn lessons. You can learn, I don't want to do that. That, mess is, that always fails. Or, hey, why don't we try that? We're in a similar situation. It worked before. Um, and hell, the Bible itself is, is a tremendous source of po- political uh, wisdom and military wisdom and all kinds of other stuff because it's the story of people and what they went through. Uh, I'll tell you, well, uh, they just... On a, on a total non sequitur, they, in Mexico, they just had a uh, exorcism for an entire country. For an entire country, uh, it's the, the closest thing is St. Francis doing an exorcism on a town. And I'm wondering if maybe we should have an exorcism in Washington D.C. Ecumenical, of course, <laughs> it doesn't have to be just Catholic. Well, then they go back to their spaceship. Hey, uh, I want to throw out some points about the Declar- the Revolutionary War. Yes, well, there's some flaws in ironclad, but the general plot's there uh, with the Patriot. <clears throat> See, one one of the ways you have to sell movies is you have to have dramatic and a dramatic ending. And, yeah, you got to twist the story a little bit to sell tickets to make a profit. That's what Icon Features did. I think Icon did also Braveheart. I think Icon did them both. Anyway, so <clears throat> you have to have the dramatic effect to, to even though some things, yeah. But um, there were some atrocities that they wrote in the Declaration of Independence. In summary, they said to the King of England, he was plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. Right now, he is hiring mercenaries to uh, finish off the unjust works that he has started. You know, basically, that's what it says. Such a king is not fit to be the ruler of a free people. We, therefore, solemnly absolved to become independent states. That's paraphrased. So there were some serious atrocities by the British. Maybe not that commander in the Patriot, but they sure made the the movie uh, popular, which was really good. Oh, and by the way, Bill Cosby had some commentary about how we won the Revolutionary War. It's a funny little tidbit. He goes, you know, why don't we just solve our problems by a coin toss? You know, like the beginning of a football game, you know, the referee's out there, the two sides... You pick heads, it's heads. What do you got? We will receive, we will receive. Yeah, let's do that with the Revolutionary War. All right, uh, George Washington here and and, and, the, and the general of the uh, British Army are the coin tosses heads. Colonials, you win. All right, what's your terms? All right, uh, how about that we can wear any kind of color clothes we want and we can shoot from behind the rocks and the trees and you British must wear red and march in a straight line. <laughs> well, I was interested in the uh, in your ability. I'm not sure who was talking, but but I was interested in whoever it was who was citing history as written in the Declaration of Independence. That's a very good point. Well, I memorized chunks of it. 
That's Kelly, our constitutional scholar, the one Kelly. and the only. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly. That's for certain. And then, by the way, when it came uh, the movie Patriot, gentlemen, you may want to want to hang me for this, but I hated that movie. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't like that it movie. I'm getting on a plane in a while. I'm going to find you and I'm going to hang you, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, Robert. Well, I uh, think the worst, the worst, the worst part, the worst part thing? had to be when they trapped all those. The worst part had to be for me, at least, you know, is and maybe it's just Dan pointed out, maybe it wasn't even true, but it's like, ugh, it's when they put all those women and children in the church and burned it down. That just really got my goat. And so I'm like, oh, I can't stand that. So I didn't watch it. I've never, I never watched the movie again. Never happened. <laughs> they have plundered really? their seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. It's right there in the Declaration. My friend and I, when it first came out, we we watched. Are the really British this bad? Well, I don't know, but the Declaration says they have plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. They put it in black and white. Yep. Robert, I would have thought that. Well, it's you more of a like a tan color, isn't it? Parchment. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, no, Robert. I thought you would have thought the one of the goriest parts when uh, Mel Gibson's uh, younger son gets shot by uh, one of the British officers as uh, as the son is uh, is trying to protect uh, Heath Ledger, the older brother. I thought that was uh, that was a very. Uh, Oof, a squeamish moment for me to see a little kid like that get sh- shot in cold blood, but I didn't know if that scene yeah. was also one a, a turn off for you as well. Probably, yeah. No, I'll tell you uh, what, I watched it once. Uh, never, n- okay. never watched it. Again. Same, same, same with Saving Private Ryan. I was, I didn't watch it more than once on it either. Go ahead, Dan. Robert, here, here's the thing. Uh, if you're going to tell something as history, it's a responsibility to be accurate. It is possible to draw different conclusions from things. Uh, I'm sure that the British, when they teach the independence, uh, War of Independence, uh, or whatever they call it over there, uh, our War of Independence, uh, they probably teach it differently, but as long as the facts are accurately represented, people can draw their own conclusions. Now, if you want to do, uh, I'm a writer, if you want to do fiction, that's okay. And you can base fiction loosely on fact. I have a problem with the fact that most people find history to be boring, and then they go to watch a movie like uh, something by Oliver Stone, let's say, about JFK or whatever, or about Vietnam, and they watch it and they're convinced that this is the way it was for all people. It wasn't the way it was necessarily. When you're going to do that, um, making those those changes, uh, it's one thing to add a little dialogue here or there or put in... Um, like they did in The Hobbit, uh, Love Interest, which never existed in the book. It didn't really harm the story, mm-hmm. uh, and that was fiction to begin with. But fidelity is important, because if you're going to tell people what is, you have to tell them the truth. You can't make stuff up. Now, if you want to make stuff up and tell and do fiction, you can do anything you want. In fact, I think it's a waste of time to retell history as fiction when fiction already exists and history already exists. History is great because it teaches you what really happened. And if you want to teach people, if you want to teach kids what's, what's really important about the human condition, about human nature, nothing beats fiction because you can make it just perfect. Reality is never just perfect. The bad guy has always got some good point. The good guy has always got some, you know, secret nastiness, whatever it is. We all, we're people. I like Game of Thrones. Go ahead. You know, there's a a really accurate historical movie, All the President's Men, Robert Redford, Dustin Hoffman, playing Woodward and Bernstein of the Washington Post. 
the, the end of the movie, you think, oh, my gosh, two reporters took down the president. Eh, wrong. They had referred to the grand jury five times, five grand jury was, the grand jury was way ahead of them. But Robert um, Woodward uh, took meticulous notes. He made a book out of it, and then they made a movie out of it, terribly accurate, painfully accurate. And later on life, uh, Deep Throat was, you know, in deathbed confession, he was revealed. But that was a terribly accurate, and it still won a um, Academy Award, several of them. It was a really stunning, accurate, dramatic. Um, I wish I'd watched that one a couple times. <clears throat> so, you know, it's an inspiration to watch that, how two two men working together can make a really big difference. I get What's the name of the movie again? Sometimes. It can be done. All the President's you know, Men. Uh, all the President's Men. Yeah, sorry, all the President's Men. Excellent. American classic, yeah. It starred uh, Robert list. Redford and Dustin Hoffman. Right. Okay. You know, the only reason it won an Academy Award, besides the fact that it had Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman, is because they went after (laughs) President Nixon. If somebody tried to make a movie like that today about President Clinton or President Obama, it would be hate speech. It would be, you know, something just horrible. Um, Because they pick and choose based on their own ideology. And this is another thing Mm -hmm. about human nature that the founders recognized, which is why we don't have a democracy, why we're not supposed to, is that people have prejudices, people do stupid things, people get caught up in a mob, in a, in a, you know, a group mentality, and they do unfair things. What the, the founding fathers did when they wrote those documents was not only protect individuals from the government, they protected the government from the mob. Okay, I like people, but I don't like... Um, 5,000 screaming people with nothing in their minds except, uh, you know, uh, mayhem and lots of, of booze or drugs in their system. That's not exactly what I could would call a deliberative process for making decisions. Yeah, it sounds like a party. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Yeah, well, <laughs> well there, there was another movie real recently. Ferguson. There was another movie recently well, that's really quite popular. It's called uh, Jurassic World, and it's very historically accurate, yes. And I had a hard time figuring out the plot. I, I, it took me a couple of days, but I think the plot was dinosaurs chasing and eating people. It's like the Jurassic <laughs> One, dinosaurs chasing and, chasing and eating people. It was fun, though. Oh, but, the Lost World. By the way, <laughs> yeah, by the, by, the, by the way, Norris, I, I goof around a lot on this show, lighten things up. All right. Well, we need one on every show. You're the gut felt of Fox News. <laughs> well, and then it gets real fun after midnight here because then we go into Bard's Logic after dark. So, <laughs> silence, uh, ominous silence. Dan, 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 I, I, you know what? I, I, you made so many valid points about uh, how. Uh, they can misconstrue, misconstrue uh, historical events in a movie. And the minute you spoke about that, one movie came to mind which made a lot of controversy before it came out, and it was about, it was the movie Noah. And a lot of people were oh, really gosh. upset, a lot of religious people, because they were saying that the way they made it was totally the polar opposite of the actual depiction in the Bible, and, you know, they were making a whole big fuss I'm glad about... you said depiction in your Bible, because I was going to say, how did they know? Were they there? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, uh, and, yeah, they, they really made a big uh, a, a big deal about that movie, well, Noah, you know, even the thing though it is, came out. 
Joseph, this is an, uh, America still, just for a few moments perhaps, and <laughs> there's freedom of speech. So if somebody right. wants to represent something and call it Noah and say, yeah, uh, God was punishing you because you're um, you're not green enough. It's global warming, and, and that's why he's going to flood the earth, and, and a bunch of others. That's right. Really, really Remember that stupid guy. stuff that was in there that wasn't <laughs> in the Bible. But if they want to do that, that's their right to do it, and it's our right to say that they're full of crap. And the best part right. is this. I can prove they're full of crap. I can't prove what happened during Noah's time, but I can prove what's in the Bible because it's an established tome that anyone can go get a copy of, and you can read it, and you can say, well, I just read the book, and I just saw the movie, and guess what? The movie is not based on the book, all right? Uh, so as long as we're telling the truth, and this is what I keep reminding people um, when they, they do social media, let's say, and there's all these memes, be really careful. You can use humor. Uh, you can use outrageous humor. You can even say things that aren't true to point out humor as long as everybody knows that you're deliberately making a joke. That woman, that Dolezal woman, the, uh, the I don't know if she's crazy or whatever, but uh, the, the white chick who became head of the NAACP and um, identifies, self-identifies as black, hey, I self-identify as, uh, well, I was going to say multimillionaire, but Trump just entered the race, so... I was going to say, well, how about uh, I self-identify as as a statesman. Now, guess what? There's something I can do about that. Whatever I've got to start with, I can work towards that goal. I I will make it or I won't, and and I'll I'll do whatever I can in that regard. But you can't change what is. She is a woman. She can self-identify as anything she wants. I actually have her name for you, Dan. Rachel... And now um, she can self-identify as black, but guess what? She's not. There's nothing wrong with being black. There's nothing wrong with being white. Um, and you can, you know, you know uh, embrace somebody else's culture if you want. Um, you know, I've got a lot of people who uh, are friends of mine who come from other countries or their parents did. And, yeah, they don't look white. And um, they're white or they're just like American white anyway. They're like me. Okay. Um, black people, white people, yellow people. We're, it, it, that's one thing you can choose, but they don't deny the fact that they are what they are. I'm tall. Okay. I'm not a short guy. I, I can self-identify with Napoleon all I want to, <laughs> you know, or uh, uh, Danny DeVito, but it's foolish for me to be trying to be something I'm not inherently. It's not foolish for people to aspire to be something else. If they want to be an artist or they want to be a dreamer of some kind, if they, they want to embrace um, some sort of lifestyle, whatever it is, that's their business. It's America. Uh, as long as we're being honest about it you know, with the jokes, as long as we're telling the truth, showing people our references. It's one thing when I, when I say stuff, um, I try really hard not to make errors. I'm sure I do. Occasionally I catch them myself. Uh, once in a while, somebody else catches an error for me, and I don't, I don't resent it. I thank them, because if I can correct it, then I'm no longer wrong. I'm, I'm correct again. Um, it's, it's important, and this is why we're going to be able to take things back, and we are taking things back in a remarkably quick fashion. It's much. It doesn't seem like it, because the mainstream media won't report it, but it well, is happening right now. I have a question right for you, the reason it's happening is because people's experience doesn't match the rhetoric that they're hearing. When things were going well, 
Uh, I oh, am go ahead. Go ahead, Dan. Finish that off, and let's bring it back to you, Norris. Society. Right, Norris. You're distressed I, with a lack of intelligence. I am distressed with a, a lack of integrity in large segments of American society. Uh, that it distresses well, me as much well, as Norris, progressivism. Well, Norris, I don't think it's uh, intelligence. Cool. Well, uh, 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 my, here's my question for you historians. Was it always that well, way? Well, what, you know, what do you in, think in, led in the revolutionary to days, where we're at? Was there a, a total lack of integrity amongst the population? Or, 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 or Yes and no. Are you talking about the ideal world of uh, the ideal world of America in the 50s that uh, never existed? I, I'm talking about when somebody says something in, in, you can generally in, in believe in history. Hold on, hold on, Dan. Dan, Dan, hold on. Let Norris get it out. Uh, what, what was that, Norris? Uh, uh, it, when someone says something, I, I want to believe them. I want to think that they're telling the truth. They're not deliberately falsifying, telling me a lie. But th- I know there's an awful lot going on in today's world where, you, you know, there's a joke about how do you tell if a salesman's lying when his lips are moving. And you can say, I think you can say the same thing about Barack Obama. If, if his lips are moving, he's probably telling a lie. I agree. Uh, and the entire and, Congress, you can say that about. Yeah, but that, that bothers me. It's yeah, lack so, of uh, a, a lack of integrity. I agree with that, Norris. I think there is an appalling lack of integrity in today's era, more so than ever. But I think, in 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 whole, I think there's always been a lack of integrity. Uh, since the beginning of mankind, but that's subject to interpretation. But, uh, you know, I, I also agree with Dan. Yes, there's a yes and a no to that, uh, but, uh, yes, it, it is human nature and, yeah, lack of integrity. Well, when it comes to integrity and, then, and when it comes to... Yeah, yeah go ahead and finish that uh, real, real quick, right. gentlemen. Uh, yeah, if you say, Dan, go ahead and you know, finish that point out, and then I want to bring uh, Ed back in, uh, into the conversation. So go ahead, Dan. When it comes to integrity, when it comes to good versus evil, when it comes to doing the right thing versus committing a sin, there's always a choice. We always have that free choice. That's what God gives us, in my opinion. And and it, it exists in nature if you don't believe in God. It, it's just something we have. The question is, why are so many people choosing to do the wrong thing? It's easier to do the wrong thing. It is. It's, it is. If nobody knows about it, it's easier to lie if they're never going to catch you. It's easier to steal than to work. It's easier to do a lot of things that are wrong. Okay, it's easier to be uh, uh, immoral than to be uh, have fidelity, um, etc. It's easier to to booze it up and, and uh, party than it is to remain sober and 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 uh, you know dedicated to your family. It's easy, but it's not necessarily good in the long run. If you eat too much candy, you get a stomachache. Eat more of it, you get diabetes. Eat more of it, your teeth fall out. Then you die, and it's not pleasant. So the reality is that people have to understand there's a consequence for their actions. And the reason that societies become as as dirty as ours has become, and there's still a lot of good people out there, is because we're allowing it. We're putting up with it. When somebody tells you a lie, call them on it. When somebody does something immoral or unjust, let's say unjust, let's not even get morality into this. When they do something wrong that hurts somebody else, 
You're not supposed to say, yay, good for you, I, I, who am I to judge you? I mean, if somebody wants to do something to their own life, they can do it. And I'm f- perfectly free to say they're an idiot for doing it. And to predict a likely series of consequences, and if those consequences bear out, then I guess I can now point to this example and say, now I told you, and this is what happened. Do you want to do the same damn thing? Are you that stupid? And that's what we we're supposed to be telling our kids, but it's also what we're supposed to be telling our coworkers, our friends, our neighbors, our bosses, those people in Washington, when they lie, we're not supposed to go, well, I get it, you're just triangulating, you're just uh, reading the polls, you're just changing your view. Bullshit. You knew the truth, you deliberately misrepresented the truth, it's called a lie. And we're, we're the only ones that are going to stop, stop this kind of behavior. They're not going to stop it on their own. Or as they call it in Washington, a Pinocchio. <laughs> I think you know, had one of those in I'll bring pants. you back in, bud. Hey, uh, on back to the Patriot movie. Uh, the Patriot movie, I kind of enjoyed it. It was a good movie. They did take a lot of liberty in it. But at the same time, they were trying to bring about what the actual American family was experiencing at that time. And, uh, you know, the... The British weren't having that much as much success as they wanted in the North, and they thought, hey, we can go down south and just mop up. So they thought they'd go down there and mop up. Well, when they got down there, uh, there was a lot of people that were on this, or were Tories in the south, but there was also a lot of patriots, you know. Uh, so we had the Tories and we had the patriots. And what they were trying to show was uh, uh, most of the families, including uh, Mel Gibson, they did not even want to get involved in this battle, and that's what they show at the beginning. Like, he didn't really want his boys in that battle. He didn't want anything, uh, you know, in it. He just kind of wanted to be neutral, which we're trying to bring people back into the battle against the centralized powers of government. And he just kind of wanted to live his own basic life. But his boy got drawn into it, and once his boy was drawn into it, then he was fired up because his boy was killed. So that made him the ultimate patriot in the end. And, you know, I mean, yeah, did they take liberties with it? Yeah, they did take liberties. It's it's a fiction uh, thing. But, that, you know, it's based on a true story because there were a lot of people that went through something similar to that. So they were just trying to make it more, you know, how somebody became a patriot. And that's what I like about that movie. Now, you could take a nonfiction movie, one of my favorite nonfiction movies that's almost ringing true today, is uh, go back and watch a 1965 film called, uh, Ray Bradbury's film called Fahrenheit 451, you know, where everybody's watching their flat screens and nobody knows what's going on anymore, uh, and they're burning the books. That book, although it's totally fiction, I mean, if you look at it today in today's context, it's it's pretty realistic so you know hollywood's going to take liberty writers are going to take liberty with things but um if it inspires people to understand what patriotism is i think it's a good thing i agree i totally agree uh can i try to answer norris's question about um the history of the morality of the country Sure. Sure. Go ahead, and then I would like to kind of segue into uh, uh, the, the next topic uh, into this evening is uh, go over what developments of the 2016 GOP uh, primary race. Go ahead, Kelly. 
somebody in uh, religious studies kind of put a report together. You know, 1620 you had the Puritans, of course, you know what they were, um, and others. And then there was a lot of prosperity. 1720s we seemed to, 17 to 50s we seemed to degrade, and then we started to get oppressed, and then we seemed to have our morality a lot stronger. Um, after the Declaration, in one of the meetings of the Continental Congress, John Adams was asked, "Was asked, do you think America is going to win this war?" I mean, that's a stunning question. And you consider that they were facing the, the greatest army the world had ever seen with the greatest technology and industry. Um, but he was asked, do you think we're going to win this war? John Adams' response was, if America repents from her sins. I thought that was really stunning. Um, you know, then we had booms and busts and other things and the morality, you know, like you, I think it was 1958 where they asked a thousand engaged women they asked this one question. Um, if you knew for absolute certainty that your engaged, your fiancé would marry you, would, would you have sex with them before marriage? And the women, 85% said no. Because they knew their power to make a man commit and then have sex. So, you know, that's that was the morality. Was it 52 or 58? Somewhere in there. Um, and then you go into the 60s. You know, we've had these ebbs and flows of moral behavior, and now we've got TV that flashes. Um, it's cool to be rich and be a gangster, and I got all the women and these videos and all this crap. I would suggest that the TV has really hurt our moral fiber, hurts the family to which people don't really think about their oppressors very much. Um, so I, in quick conclusion, it's been an up and down thing. Um, there have been revivals. I think in early 1800s, they noted that all the uh, one, in one city, the jails were just basically empty. Crime dropped. You know, when um, um, like Finley and some of these other great pastors go throughout the country and preach, there's been these revivals and immorals improve, and then they, it's just ebb and flow up and down. That's kind of my answer to that question. All right. We needed to get it to ebb again. Uh, as far as the morals, um, they're always going to change. I mean, it's going to, you know, the first Great Awakening was really what uh, brought out the fever to, uh, to rebel, actually, uh, during the Great Awakening, um, you know, preachers like Edwards and stuff would get out there and speak to thousands of people. They were the rock stars of the day, and they were unifying for freedom of conscience because uh, a lot of people, you know, most of the states had established religions in the United States at that time. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people were put in jail or put in stocks or beaten for, you know, not uh, adhering to the proper, you know, preaching evangelical stuff in Anglican, Virginia, and stuff like that. So these preachers kind of came around, and they really started, you know, invigorating America into a new calling And uh, during the 1740s and 1750s. And the, the greatest calling that they had was no king but Jesus. So it was kind of like, you know, laying the roots of, hey, the king ain't above us. You know, we knew that from the Magna Carta, but we're at the point now that we don't really think we need him anymore. And, you know, because they never really came in contact with them anyways over there in, uh, 
the colony. So they kind of like felt like they were kind of like overruled, you know, by this faraway force, but put up his troops here and there, but they didn't really feel his full brunt of his power or anything. So they, at that time, they were very religious. And then during the Revolutionary War, war kind of changes people, and they became, you know, uh, a little less religious at that time, and then it was revived again in the 1800s, like you were saying. And, you know, we're going through, we go through cycles. And we go through cycles. I think that we're going to go through another religious cycle, ho- hopefully here, where we will get back, you know, in a cycle of uh, a lot more Christianity. I, but part of our problem is our Christians aren't really, you know, they say they're Christians. If we had more Christians out there doing good Christian work, we shouldn't even have children going to the state of school. We should say, open up the churches, bring your children here. We're going to, you know, it's like George Bush said, it's impossible to rightly govern without God in the Bible in his farewell address. Well, then, if it's impossible to govern, how are we teaching our children in these atheistic, anti-Christ public school systems? Get them out of public school systems and bring them into the churches and educate them in the churches. That's the kind of revival I think we're going to go through. That's the type of uh, revival that the Internet's bringing about. And there are a lot of homeschoolers going out there right now, and we're just going to thumb our noses up at the uh, Big Brother government, and we, the people, are going to start doing our job that we're supposed to do again. Well, I'm going to throw another. Well, a lot of us want to chime in on that. Okay, gentlemen, I, I hear that a, a lot of us want to chime in on that point. Uh, so I'm just going to go, uh, needed go to down the line here. What's that? Norris, Norris is going to be, Norris of course, since our guest is going to be the first person. Well, yeah, then he was going to be the first on the list, of course, since he's our guest. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, bring to you, Norris, and then uh, I'll make a list down if everyone wants to comment on that. Go ahead, uh, and I, I might want to make some comments on that myself. Uh, but first, uh, go ahead, Norris. Well, I I want to thank all of you, gentlemen, for the inspiration that you've provided uh, I've, uh, I hope to get to know you better uh, as time goes on and uh, have some more exchanges of information outside of this particular uh, uh, session. Uh, and that's all I've got to say. The feeling is mutual, Norris. Okay. Thank so, you. Uh, yeah, we appreciate you coming on to the show. And I did send you uh, the... Uh, contact information for Joseph, okay. and then, you know, over time we can yep. uh, go ahead and share more contact information with other people here, as well as uh, I will be, uh, at the end of the night, emailing you the link for the podcast, because all these shows are podcasts, uh, where folks can listen to it or download it later uh, to listen to it at their convenience. I mean, I I've even have some episodes downloaded to my cell phone, or, you know, to my uh, smartphone here. Uh, so that could be done as well. And you can also download uh, the audio to your computer, you know, the link. So I'll be sending you the link later, and then uh, perhaps you can, you know, put that out to your, you know, 1,600 different uh, folks there that you're connected with uh, so they can listen to uh, the show and get to hear our uh, guests and panelists and callers here as well. And we uh, appreciate you coming on. And uh, I'll see you some more on LinkedIn as well. I know. Okay, thank you, and I certainly will be reporting this uh, discussion to my contacts. So. Well, we appreciate it, and we'll uh, look forward on. to hearing from you again, okay, Norris? All right, good night. Have a great night, Norris. Good night. Good night. Take care. 
Norris was uh, good enough to spend some extra time with us uh, this evening, originally in our uh, off-air conversation. He said he'd be able to spend about an hour or so with us, and uh, he did extend his time uh, being with us tonight, so we really appreciate that uh, from you, Norris, uh, taking time to stay uh, longer with us. Uh, so, you know, Ed, you know, made some comments, and so what we'll do is we'll go down uh, the line. Uh, first, we'll go with uh, you, Joe, and then with you, Dan, and then Kelly, and then I'll make some uh, comments myself on those thoughts. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, bring it to you, Joe. Uh, yes, uh, actually, homeschooling is uh, starting to become a very popular uh, trend. Uh, I know in New York they even have a, a special homeschool system that is funded by the Department of Education where starting at the kindergarten level, you can um, actually, um, uh, I, I, I think they put a, a, a it, they do it through a camera and through the Internet, through the uh, computer, and the student is actually receiving his education on the computer while he's being instructed uh, by the teacher in the classroom. So the student is at home, and he he's on FaceTime, and he's getting instruction, and he's seeing his fellow classmates who are actually participating live in the classroom. And so they have something, some sort of program or structure set up in that way where a student has the option to stay at home, but they can kind of get the classroom feel, I guess, via Internet. And then, of course, homeschooling, which has always been a uh, uh, an option. It's been viewed uh, as more of an antiquated um, trend, but now it's becoming a lot more popular as um, many students, uh, no, as many parents are dissatisfied with the public school education in whole. Uh, fed up with the Department of Education, the lack of um, knowledge that the kids are learning, the structure, uh, the increased the increased violence in public schools, uh, the mm-hmm. fact that uh, Common Core and other big issues. So yes, yes, homeschool is definitely becoming a, a popular trend again, and um, I think it's a good thing. I think at the end of the day the parents should be the ones to decide and have the option, not not the government. I don't think the government has the right to decide that they know best. Uh, I think it's it should come down to a parent's choice of what they think is the best option for their children. And, Dan, your thoughts? Well, as I rummage around here looking for audio parts, I was going to try a different microphone. Um we homeschooled our kid until third grade when she made the decision that she wanted to go be with her uh, her compatriots, and she did okay. Uh, smart kid. She knows how to think, and that's really what you're supposed to learn in school are just two things, just two things only. One is how to critically think about things, and the other are basic facts, not theories but facts, that you can base uh, understanding on, and then you build from there. And it's funny, but when you start with basic facts, and they have to be real facts, and you you learn how to critically think, it's remarkable how you almost always come to similar conclusions with most other people. And those who come to different conclusions 
can be oh, some of them are crazy and some of them are, are visionaries and geniuses. They're looking at, at something in a different way. But most of us are going to see things pretty much the same way. So there's where that unanimity, that uniformity in society comes in, not from, from being imposed upon us with a bunch of falsehoods, but from just a natural inquiry. If, if you and I both look at, at apples falling from a tree, we're, we're all going to come up with the theory of gravity. We're not necessarily going to be able to explain it in mathematics the way that Newton did. But we're all going to go like, yep, stuff falls down. And that's what little kids do. Okay, they figure stuff out like that. Now, we are, we yep, are in, a, in a time. Yeah, it does. And, and it, unless, if it starts falling up, all my assumptions are going to really have to be reexamined. Um, we are in a time of great immorality, where we murder babies, where we murder old people, we murder sick people. It's starting. It's already starting with Obamacare, where it's not just here because we're in a global society, but there's an awful lot of meanness and injustice, a lot of uh, rapes and child abuse and, and, and just ripping people off. And there's an awful lot of good people, too, and, and they've got to be strong. They've got to band together. We're actually kind of in a, in a different kind of uh, place than, than America's ever been before because there's actually going to be two revivals competing for the soul of America. You're not going to have a government revival. Nobody cares. Nobody wants the government. Nobody likes the government. Nobody's going to suddenly say, my God, we believe in statism. We believe in the government. They get things right. They are wise. They know what they're doing. They're doing it in our best interest. It's not going to happen. But when people are looking for higher power and a greater meaning and a, a deeper conviction, in America they're going to have two choices, and one is to turn to Judeo-Christian ethics. And that doesn't mean you have to be Jewish or Christian. It doesn't mean you have to go to a church or a synagogue. It, and if that ever comes to a day where you're forced to do that, we're no better than than statists. We're no better than royalists. It's, it's, we're supposed to have free choice. But what it means is those ethics, those ideals that Judeo-Christian values of the West hold dear of, of the Ten Commandments, you know, basically being good to one another. Those are going to be the traditionalists who are seeking uh, redemption, who are seeking to... Uh, repent for our sins and try and make it up and try and be better for the next generation. But Islam is now in America. And it's here and it's growing. And they're bringing in tens of thousands a week. There's millions here who are coming. And they're not all bad people. And if they want to worship that way, it's fine. But I want Americans, if they're going to be Islamic, let them be Americans first. Which means mm -hmm. that they have to respect my right not to be Islamic, my right not to pay him a jizya tax because I'm not Islamic or give up all my possessions to them because I'm not Islamic or have my head cut off because I'm not Islamic or have my wife or daughter stoned or worse because they won't cover themselves head to toe in a sheet and they insist on driving cars and uh, educating themselves and working jobs. So there are people who, in desperate times who will turn to that. And what we have to offer them is truth and example. And this is true whether it's religious or any other kind of, of movement. Um, if you want to get there slow and, you know, lie the way that the, 
the statists have been doing and uh, basically bit by bit seize little bits of power until hopefully you get to a point where you could just have it all and everybody's too stupid and it's see they don't understand human nature so that's why they're going to lose but the other side offers force and power Christianity Judaism they both used to be like that until they were reformed they, they, they we used to kill each other over nothing over tiny tiny differences in understanding of scripture or or of uh, of what what God was supposed to be about as if we actually knew even if you read the bible are you really uh, as wise as God to be able to interpret it well enough that you can tell other people that, that without doubt that, that you know everything I, i'm not maybe somebody else is but there are some things it's really clear to me that beating someone who hasn't attacked you that raping someone for any reason, that torturing somebody for any reason, that murdering someone for any reason is not a good act. It's not a moral act. It's not a righteous act. And it's a powerful act that we have to counter by not only defending ourselves, because nowhere does it say that you can't defend yourself and that's human nature, too, to, to protect yourself and, and what's yours and, and your family, your community. Absolutely. But more than just strength, we need to show compassion. We need to show the decency. Those people I work with, for instance, in the, uh, in the pro-life movement, because I, I work with all these different movements, they're not just pro-life saying, don't get an abortion. They're also saying, and if that's the decision that you make, then uh, we're going to help you through the birth, and then we're going to help you afterwards with the child. We're going to help you find all the resources you can to be able to, to put food on the table and a roof over your head and to get that education that you may have been too young and, and got interrupted from and, and just basically to live until that child can live on its own when it's an adult. And that's what true pro-life is, okay? Pro-Second Amendment doesn't mean I get all the guns, you get nothing. I can shoot you whenever I want. No, it means I have the right to protect myself. I can bear uh, arms. I can carry a weapon. What that also means is that so does my neighbor have that right, and that stranger from the next town over. And if we're not going to be getting into gunfights all the time, the answer is we have to be able to trust each other because we're motivated from good things. Thankfully, in my experience, including in places like the inner city, uh, most people are decent and don't want to harm anybody else or be harmed. They're not interested in that BS. So I think we've got a real good shot at this, but it's going to take serious commitment and by more than just a few. And Kelly, let's go ahead and uh, bring in, and I've got just a go few ahead, comments uh, to make, namely about the, the homeschooling and uh, education. Go ahead, Kelly. Well, there's two things I don't like, which might sound a little strange to you folk, is if a state mandates people going to church, I know, I'm, I'm totally against that. Number two, if a state mandates that people have to buy guns. Now, if the state wants to offer guns for free and then require that everybody own a gun, well, that's a different story. But uh, even on the community level, the city wants to buy guns for everybody and you have to have one, well, I might be in support of that. But the, some, some of this force stuff, like, uh, well, let's just pick on the Puritans for a while. And by the way, John Adams was considered the the last Quaker. 
<laughs> and ironic about him, uh, they sent him as a delegate to France as soon as our country was birthed. Or no, England, actually. They sent him to England, and they wondered why. Well, because the British like a good insult. <laughs> so you have an insulting Quaker, John Adams, um, who dearly loved his wife. Anyway... You go way back to real, real quick, uh, real real quick, Kelly. I hate to interrupt you, but uh, you know, seeing what time it is, we only got about uh, three minutes, folks, before we go into the extended period, or sometimes what we lovingly call Bard's Logic After Dark. And if you like to hear the extended period of the show, give us a call at three four seven nine four five seven four two eight. If you like uh, to listen live to it, if you like to chime in, uh, push the one on the number dial, but if you just like to listen, that's fine as well. Uh, also, uh, if you can't stay with us, of course, the remainder of the show will be available on the podcast uh, using the same link uh, that you use tonight to get to the live portion of the show, and that will be the way you could do that. And, of course, the link is where you can share it. And also, if you'd like uh, to be a follower of the show, just click the little follow button uh, that we have there on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, so that will also be able to be another way where you can get uh, email messages from the host and be able to find out uh, what the show, upcoming shows and previous shows uh, we were having here on Bard's Logic. So, again, that number is 347-428, because if you don't do it in the next about three, two and a half minutes, then it will unfortunately shut off your audio. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring it back uh, to you, Kelly, and then I'll make some brief comments, and then, Perhaps we'll be able to uh, bring things over to our next topic of conversation. Go ahead, Kelly. So on this idea of uh, forced religion, is, I'm just not a fan of that. I did visit the uh, Living History Museum there at uh, Plymouth in Massachusetts back in '04. It was really amazing. I mean, the thatched roofs, thatched roofs and everything, and they were really called separatists. And they didn't. They just uh, had the Bible published, 1604, and they came over here. We're going to throw away whatever the king is going to dictate. We're just going to read it for ourselves and discover it for ourselves. However, then they did force people to go to church. Not only that, they had a guy who would have a long pole and a soft, blunt end. That if you fell asleep in church, you would get poked. So if I was back in that society, what I would want, I would want one of two positions: either A to be the pastor. Or B, to be the guy that wakes up everybody that dozes off. The reason is, is because I would doze off in church. <laughs> so, either of those two positions would keep me awake in church. I would sure hope so. <laughs> so we've got some background noise so. coming from someone right now. I don't know where... Yeah, I don't. I don't know where the uh, that sounds coming from. Do you, does anyone else hear, or is that just me hearing that? Yeah, no, I hear it too. Not from my end. I hear it. Some kind of static or something. Did you hear me, Robert? Unfortunately, it sounds like it's coming. Well, let's see if we hear it again. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, we're yeah, unfortunately we're hearing that from you, Dan. Uh, let's hope we can uh, clear that up. I apologize for that. Um, so we'll uh, open his mic up back in a few moments uh, to see if we uh, are taking uh, that can be taken care of. And I'll just make some uh, brief comments 
uh, you know, on the schooling is, uh, yeah, I, I really agree with the idea, and I wish I could have the opportunity to uh, homeschool my daughter. Uh, she'll be in the eighth grade uh, this uh, this coming school year, uh, just but just not having anyone or, or having any organizations which would uh, do the homeschooling, you know, even if I would have made in some way my own curriculum, uh, that would have been awesome. Uh, now, on the other hand, when it comes to sending them to uh, these uh, these schools, one of the problems that I see that, at least with the Catholic schools, at least here, and you guys might find this the uh, ironic, if not, <laughs> but uh, my daughter actually goes to a Catholic school. Um, you know, it's her, you know, it's kind of in part her choice. And in part by choice, uh, I pick it because, as you mentioned, Dan, uh, the discipline of uh, the Catholic uh, schools is, uh, at least in my area, more stringent uh, than it is for the public schools. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why I send her there. Uh, plus, with uh, just the caliber of uh, students and uh, things of that nature, as well as the, uh, even though all those sometimes snooty, a lot of times, but anyway, uh, <laughs> that's why, you know, I picked there. And, of course, my daughter is Catholic. Um, so, you know, that's her decision to, you know, move on and her faith uh, the way that she chooses. Uh, but one of the problems that I see with uh, the Catholic uh, and or, or even if you just go to the Christian schools, most of them in my experience are the uh, Catholic education, is the expense of taking them there. And I really think that holds off. Uh, a lot of folks, and that's for both good and for ill. Uh, of course, you know, the, the folks who will sacrifice and send their kids uh, to the uh, private schools or these Catholic schools uh, definitely are more vested or invested, you might be able to say as well, uh, in their child's education, uh, unlike, you know, others that may not be. I'm not saying this is always the case. And I'll put that disclaimer out there. Uh, but uh, those who are more involved, uh, seem to have the children who care more about their education uh, when their parents uh, care by making those sacrifices uh, for those kids to go for uh, go to those classes. So that's where I see where less and less you know kids are able to go uh, because of those rising costs. Now I, I'm not in any way thinking that the government should be giving people money to send uh, kids to private or Catholic schools. I, I definitely think that'd be a detriment, and we've seen that happen around here. Uh, where they've done voucher systems, things of that nature, and I've got mixed thoughts on that, more so more so leaning towards against it. Um, but we, um, you know, that's my thoughts on that. So what I like to do moving forward, uh, and I do see we still have uh, most of us on the, the line here. Uh, let's go ahead and see if we can bring Dan back, and then I'd like to get on to our discussion about the recent uh, uh, – folks who've entered the 2016 uh, GOP presidential race. Uh, so we'll like to have uh, that discussion tonight. And uh, we've got a list of uh, candidates. Uh, and I think that they smell, the Republicans might sell, smell a little blood in the water. What I mean by that is that Hillary Clinton uh, does look like she's probably going to get the nomination. I'm sure we'll even read off maybe some of her uh, contenders against Hillary when we have our discussion. Uh, but I would say almost a foregone conclusion unless somebody uh, comes up to defeat her that she'll get the, uh, the nomination. And I, for one, don't see Hillary unless the Republicans uh, coordinate or nominate a total buffoon. 
that I just don't see how she could win. And I think that might be why part and parcel, uh, while we're seeing so many candidates uh, jumping into the ring. Let's just discuss on who we think has a better chance of moving further, maybe not so much as who trying to make a guess on who that nominee would be, but who uh, we think he would be able to be further in the race and who, uh, at least at this point, who we think that the GOP establishment and party leadership will be backing. I've got my own uh, opinions on that. Uh, but first, before we go uh, to that discussion, let's see if we can bring uh, Dan back in. Let's see if we got that, that handle. All right. Yes. Dan, do we got that sound uh, taken care of? Can you hear me at all? Yeah, that's, I can hear you some. You're, you, you're kind of broken up some. Oh, uh, I'm having like problems. Is this any better? Yeah, that's really bad. Bad. Um, why don't you go to someone else and I'll see if I can work out this technical thing. Yeah, right? we can barely hear you, Dan. Yeah, that's not good. Um, yeah, try someone else while I try and figure out what's going on with this microphone. Yeah, let's go ahead and bring uh, uh, someone else. So let's go ahead and I mentioned that list. And uh, there's more on this list, but I'm just going to uh, read off the names uh, of folks who are pretty much, you know, in it now. And, you know, that would be familiar names to most of us. Uh, but then we'll also could bring in some, uh, I mean, it's amazing. I didn't know there's so many people who have declared uh, for that. And so we have, uh, of course, Jeb Bush, who just uh, declared recently. Personally, I don't think he's got a chance of winning the nomination. I don't think he'll go very far. Uh, in the process, uh, he may have a lot of money behind him, but I think that he knows as well as anyone that the uh, the country is just not going to elect another Bush. I just don't see it happening, and so I don't see him. Then there's Dr. Ben Carson, who originally I was seeing some promotion from Newt Gingrich uh, on him. Of course, as we all know, I would like to see Newt uh, uh, come back into the fray, and maybe he will uh, – Time make his timing uh, coming in if he if he does come in at all uh, once things are whittled down. So we got Ben Carson in. I think he may have a chance. I think he's got uh, definitely a better shot than Jeb Bush does. Uh, but then we also have Chris Christie, another folk who I think that won't have much of a chance of getting it, uh, the nomination. Uh, I don't think the conservatives will back uh, Chris Christie. I do think that he may be one of the candidates that the uh, Republican establishment, the leadership will uh, perhaps go behind. I think he also may be where the, uh, what I uh, call the so-called conservative media uh, might be caused maybe one of the more electable uh, of the candidates uh, for a general election. And then we've got Ted Cruz, of course. I think he could go pretty far if, unless people say, find out that he cannot get elected if they say that he uh, doesn't qualify. Uh, that's part of the conversation perhaps we can have with Joe. And no, I think, you know, if that stands, I think uh, he very well could. Now, why not, of course, would be the establishment favorite. I think he could go far in the Republican primary. And then we have uh, uh, John Dumay, which I believe uh, we've had uh, Mr. Dumay on the show before. I'll have to look uh, in my... Uh, archives, but uh, now I have a, an email, <laughs> some old emails uh, for, for John Dumay. So we may have had him uh, on the show. I'm going to double check on that. And, and we'll see. We'll, we'll know more about him. And then Lindsey Graham has declared. 
uh, that. I don't think that he'll get uh, very far. I think he'll uh, have a lot to contribute, uh, you know, as time moves on. Uh, but I don't think. And then we've got um, Mike Huckabee, which is interesting. I think he's got a shot of going far. Once again, he wouldn't be someone who the Republican uh, establishment, I think, would get uh, behind at first. Um, I think that they would be more likely to get behind, actually, Bobby Jindal, uh, who is uh, – there's one. He's just exploratory. So he, he hasn't really declared yet. But I do see Jindal might be someone that the – that the establishment could possibly get behind. And then we have George Pataki, uh, former governor of New York, has declared. I mean, yeah, as I said, I, I don't see him I don't see him going very far. And then Rand Paul, I think he, while, of course, again, would not be one of those that the establishment would uh, back uh, get back behind, uh, I do think that he uh, may be able to go far, like his father did uh, in 2012. Uh, and I think he very well could be one who could possibly win the nomination. Um, Ted Cruz maybe as well. Um, now, I would pick Ted Cruz over Rand Paul at this point. Uh, but then we'll move over to Rick Perry. He's going to try it again. I think that uh, his foibles uh, in the last election is going to come back to haunt him. Uh, so I don't see it. But, of course, let's hear more for, from our panelists on what their thoughts on him and everyone else. And then I just found out recently – and thank you, Joe, for informing me of this, uh, that Rick Santorum is now declared uh, that he's going to run again. I do think that he will go far. I think that perhaps uh, his uh, past comments of the Tea Party, he may be able to uh, smooth those over with Tea Parties. He was not a, uh, a Tea Party uh, supporter, and he's even said there, and there's audio uh, to support it. And also uh, there's some folks saying out there that how pro-union he was. Uh, or maybe even still is, but probably more in the lines of was. Uh, whether he could get the nomination, uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really think uh, he'd be uh, to, the one to get it. Um, and then we have Marco Rubio, who I think the establishment would get behind. I think uh, there's multiple reasons for that. One of that, of course, uh, that the uh, Republicans would like to woo the uh, Latina vote in the country. So I think uh, they would get behind him. Plus, Mark Rubio, in my opinion, and anyone wants to uh, say otherwise, that's fine. Uh, but I think he's been moving more towards the middle, uh, uh, away from conservatives. And then we have, of course, recently Donald Trump. Uh, frankly, I think it's a joke. I think he just wants to get his, his name out there. I think he wants to talk more about his success as a businessman uh, than anything else. Uh, he might have some good points to make, but once again, I, I don't see him as a credible candidate, much like he wasn't a credible candidate in 2012. And then the last, he's not um, said he declared yet, uh, but also Scott Walker. Uh, we'll we'll see uh, more about that. I think he actually has some potential, especially with his recent uh, history and uh, electoral successes. And then we have John Kasich from Ohio. Uh, he's a potential, hasn't even declared any kind of exploratory campaign, uh, but he may. Uh, and then tell some of the things he's done in Ohio. I don't I don't know how much support he'll get, even though he's uh, my governor, uh, but I think because he is from Ohio, he will not only get the um, backing from the establishment uh, because uh, we're such a swing state, uh, but he may very well be able to get tickets uh, pretty close to the end if he decides to get in. Um, and then we uh, will see on that. 
And if he does get in, uh, I think he can take it pretty far. And then lastly, that's not on the list, but I'm always going to mention is in my hope of a new Gingrich reentering the fray. I think why not? We've we've got Rick Santorum back in. We've got Perry back in. We've got Huckleby back in. You know, you know, we've got Santorum back in. If I haven't already mentioned that, um, so why not? Uh, once things are whittled down more, uh, for Newt to come in and show what uh, the Republicans can really do in beating Hillary. I mean, let's face it, if there's one person who he beat Hillary uh, back in her day, it was Newt Gingrich. But let's go ahead and bring it over to our panelists. Uh, it looks like Ed is uh, good for the night, and we'll bring it back hopefully to Dan soon. But, of course, let's first bring it to our campaigner of the group, and that is with Joe. Joe, let's, uh, I've, I've read a pretty extensive list there. Uh, what's your general thought on there being so many candidates in the mix here uh, in, in light of they, they may smell it as a bloodbath because if Hillary does become the nominee, I just don't think that there's going to be a lot of, you know, I mean, sure, she'll get her, her votes, but I, I just don't see where uh, a Republican of any credibility would lose against Hillary. Well, what do you think? Uh, well, I think it's definitely going to be uh, a different uh, a different uh, landscape than we've ever seen. It's, it's estimated to be the largest GOP presidential primary field in the history of the GOP since it was first founded in 1854. Uh, we have some formidable candidates. Um, I definitely think um, out of all the candidates you mentioned, I think Santorum has uh, a chance of going the distance. He's very formidable. I see Fiorina uh, as a very, very formidable candidate. Uh, I also see... Yeah, I don't think I even mentioned uh, her, did I? No, no, you didn't, but that's okay because it's, it's a big group. Uh, but I think Fiorina is going to be a, a very formidable candidate. I actually think she would possibly make a good VP choice. Uh, but the, mm -hmm. you know the end of the primaries will tell what her knowledge is overall. Um, interesting, you were talking about uh, about the, uh, the the cruise. Um, uh, the big um, question is is uh, Ted Cruz because he was born in Canada. Is he eligible to run for president? And um, to help touch a little bit on that, since you asked uh, that question, uh, Politifact came out with an article. And um, they were stating that um, Senator Ted Cruz, yes, although he was born outside the United States um, and uh, he's born in Canada, um, Cruz has maintained that, uh, quote, there are no constitutional barriers that prevent him from running. And uh, so far, the challenges to his candidacy have been um, uh, few and far between. And so the big question is, can Cruz really run? Uh, and uh, Rafael uh, Edward Cruz, um, that's his full name, he was born in Calgary, Canada in 1970. Back then his family was living there because his father was working for this uh, uh, famous oil industry uh, company at the time. And then they moved to uh, the United States when he was four. And he grew up in Texas, graduated from high school, and then he later attended Princeton University and then Harvard. And then, of course, in 2013, as a first-term senator, um, he already uh, was uh, considering becoming a, a prospective presidential uh, candidate, and he released his birth certificate. 
technically his mother's born in Delaware uh, and his father um, was born uh, in Cuba, kind of a similar situation to Obama, uh, whose mother was born in Kansas and uh, father was in Africa. Uh, but um, is the issue 100% settled? Not exactly. Uh, what does the Constitution say? And uh, Kelly, you can weigh on this since you're a constitutional scholar. Uh, but when the issue was looked into uh, back in 2013 by the Cruz camp, uh, it, it basically says that the constitutional requirements for a presidential candidate created by the founding fathers are concise but not readily clear. Uh, there, there are two provisions, and these are the provisions. Uh, the candidate must be 35 years of age and a resident of the United States for 14 years. The third qualification, he or she must be a natural-born citizen. The definition of a natural-born citizen, well, that's kind of uh, a debate. Uh, most legal experts contend it means uh, someone is a citizen from birth and does not have to go through the naturalization process to become a citizen. Now, if that's the definition, then Cruz would be considered a natural-born citizen by being born to an American mother and having her citizenship at birth. The Congressional Research Service, the agency tasked with providing uh, the research to all members of Congress, published a report after the 2008 election supporting the thinking that natural-born citizenship means citizenship held at birth. And there are many legal and historical precedents to strongly back up this argument. Um, and um, British common law, as an example, recognized that children born outside the British Empire remained subjects and were described by law as natural born. And uh, the framers, of course, would have been intimately familiar with these uh, statutes and the way they used terms like natural born since uh, British statutes were binding laws in, in the colonies before the Revolutionary War. Uh, so basically, after the Congress of the United States passed the Naturalization Act of 1790, just three years after the Constitution was written, it stated that children born abroad to United States citizens were two natural-born citizens. Many members of the inaugural Congress were also authors of the Constitution. And uh, incidentally, uh, this isn't the first time the qualifications of a candidate have come into question. Uh, George Romney, who was the father of Mitt Romney, who ran for president as a Republican in 1968, he was actually born in Mexico, which many people don't know. Barry Goldwater, the 1964 GOP presidential nominee, was born in Arizona before it was a state. So neither candidate's campaign was derailed by citizenship challenges. And so that's a very interesting uh, fact uh, in Ted Cruz's case. And um, I'm just going to bring up one more interesting fact that I think you're going to find really, really, um, really mystifying. Um, and uh, this is actual an actual response from Ted from the Ted Cruz camp. And this is what they are claiming is the proof that he can run for United States president despite his Canadian roots. Uh, according to his campaign team, two top lawyers definitively settled the question of whether Senator Ted Cruz is eligible to run for United States president with an article published in the Harvard Law Review, uh, which was published earlier um, this month in June. In an email to Business Insiders last week, Cruz's senior advisor, whose uh, name is Kathleen Frazier, 
said the campaign is pointing any reporters who ask about Cruz's eligibility to March 11th article, which was written by Neil uh, Cato and uh, Paul Clement. And any coverage on this issue should include the Harvard Law Review article by Cato Clement. And questions have been raised about Cruz's eligibility as he was born in uh, Canada to an American mother and a Cuban-born father. Uh, At the end of the day, most experts agree his mother's American citizenship makes him a natural-born citizen, which is one of the constitutional requirements for presidential uh, eligibility. But in an analysis of uh, an issue published by uh, PolitiFact in 2013, they concluded there is, um, if there is the tiniest silver, quote-unquote, of uncertainty about whether Cruz is legally eligible to be president, because the phrase natural-born citizen has never been explicitly defined by a constitutional amendment or Supreme Court ruling, quote-unquote. And so it's definitely a compelling argument, but um, no one is raising any questions uh, about uh, this issue or at least challenging it uh, in any opposition so far uh, to Ted Cruz's uh, run. So pretty much that is, uh, I guess, uh, a mini synopsis in a nutshell about the the Cruz situation. Uh, But um, honestly, to answer your question, Robert, I don't think Pataki is going to last too long. I definitely don't think Donald Trump will last too long. Uh, Perry, no. <laughs> um, I don't think he can recover from uh, uh, 2012. Uh, Graham is definitely considered uh, a big neocon, and he's not very popular amongst even the establishment and his own base. Um, Bush, Jeb Bush, he'll probably be a formidable candidate, but I agree with you, Robert, and I don't think the establishment will back him. One interesting thing, you were talking previously about school vouchers, and one interesting thing is actually in uh, Jeb Bush's tenure as governor of Florida, he was actually the first governor to introduce uh, the school voucher program, and Florida did lead the way in school vouchers. Just an interesting little tidbit there since you were talking about the uh, homeschooling option. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, Rand Paul. In all honesty, I actually think that um, if he was not so weak in his foreign policy views, he would be a very formidable candidate. I think a lot of people do like a lot of things about Rand Paul and what he stands for and what he has achieved uh, and since he's been a senator in 2010. But people just don't agree with his uh, foreign policy strategy and especially he made some uh, comments that really lit the fire a few weeks ago in which he stated that um, the George W. Bush administration and uh, neocons uh, actually uh, created the vacuum for ISIS. So that really struck a chord amongst a lot of conservatives, really infuriated a lot of conservatives about that. Um, And to be honest, the, the major consensus that I'm getting out there is... Uh, a lot of Americans don't want to make the same mistake they made in 2012 and in 2008, in which we did was we elected um, Barack Obama, who basically had no political experience whatsoever. At the time that he was running for president, he came in as a dark horse when they stated that uh, the coronation was for Hillary Clinton, and then, of course, Barack Obama spoiled the party. Uh, definitely did that. 
But um, at that time, he was a United States senator in the House of Representatives for Illinois, never passed a piece of legislation. And so a lot of people are looking this time, the major consensus I'm getting out there in the grassroots is they're looking for a governor, someone who has experience with legislation, mm-hmm. someone who has experience in governing a state, someone who knows how to pass a budget, create a budget. And I think that's the direction that Americans, the major consensus, that's the direction that they definitely are are hinting towards. So, yes, uh, Carson is a, a phenomenal individual, but I just don't think people want to make that same mistake of electing someone who does not have any uh, political experience or a non-political background. And I definitely think that um, they're not the, the major consensus is they don't want a senator and they don't want a, a, a congressman because they don't understand what it's like to uh, balance a budget or to run a state. And uh, I think that's what uh, the major consensus is out there. They're looking for someone with a gubernatorial experience that they think will uh, be very effective in the White House. Uh, Scott Walker has launched his 2016 Exploratory Committee. Chris Christie has launched his 2016 Exploratory Committee. Uh, Bobby Jindal as well in Kasich actually technically uh, just filed the FEC papers a few weeks ago launching an Exploratory Committee as well. Um, Although I also want to touch on something. I really doubt that Christie would have any backing from the GOP. Uh, He's very low in the poll numbers, and um, he's lost a lot of um, popularity that he once had with the GOP establishment. So I doubt that he will have any strong backing uh, from the GOP. One more interesting fact I wanted to bring into the mix. Robert, you did... uh, point out that uh, so far it looks like Hillary has a clean ride to the coronation. Uh, Bernie Sanders is uh, opposing her. I don't think he has a a formidable chance. Martin O'Malley, the former uh, Maryland governor of Massachusetts, is also throwing his hat in the race. I don't think he has a chance as well. Uh, Former Rhode Island governor Lincoln Chaffee has thrown his hat in the race. Um, and um, I don't think uh, he has so much of a chance as well. Uh, Many liberals are saying that if Elizabeth Warren does run, she would be the best chance of dethroning Hillary Clinton because there is a big Mm. uh, popular Warren base within the left, left uh, part of the party. But so far, Warren has stated that she has no intentions of running. Quote, she has said, I am not running for president, you want me to put an exclamation point at the end, unquote. So I think she's made that uh, pretty pretty, uh, art, uh, pretty, crystal clear. Uh, you, you're going to love this one. When uh, they asked Joe Biden, Uncle Joe, he stated, honest to God, I haven't made up my mind. Typical Joe Biden. So, uh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, exactly. And so, so far, uh, that is the mix. Uh, I think that um, the 2016 Republican presidential primaries are just warming up. I uh, mm-hmm. just to answer your question. There is plenty of room for a lot of other candidates, and at the end of the day, I think uh, the estimates will be correct. There will be 21 to 22 estimated to join the field. the The fundamental question is, 
who is going to be the formidable candidate versus who are going to be the ones who are going to be exiting out pretty quickly. And we will determine or have an indicator on the first debate, which will take place on August the 6th, will be moderated by Fox News. And uh, this one has a lot of controversy because this is the first time in a Republican primary debate where they are going to determine only 10 candidates are going to be able to participate in that debate based on the polling, based on the ranking of the polling. And I am totally against that. Uh, Fiorina made a, a very valid comment last week in stating that everyone, and Santorum also agreed with Fiorina on this, they were the only two candidates that agreed and stated that every anyone or everyone who is in the race by that time should have the right and privilege of debating, which I do agree. But unfortunately, I agree they're going that. to... I agree with that as well. But unconventionally, for the first time, they're going to kick it to the pundits and allow them to decide who it's kind of going to be like the political version of American Idol because the pundits are going to decide <laughs> who is the most popular or the me. worthy one. And those are how they are mm-hmm. going to determine who will be the 10 candidates that will be worthy of debating the first debate on August the 6th. And so far, even though Governor Walker has not officially entered the race, he has the highest poll numbers at 12%, which is pretty amazing, uh, even though he has Wow, he hasn't even entered. Exactly. And, and one person, just, just as a note, John Dumay, uh, not no one's really, you know, not a lot of folks have heard uh, from him, uh, but just an interesting note that we've, uh, even before it started, uh, the show has had a presidential candidate uh, for the GOP nomination on the show much prior to there. Because actually, uh, if we look back in the archives, uh, we'll see that we had uh, John Dumais on the show talking about uh, his running for president uh, for 2016. So just an interesting programming note. Very interesting. So we had him on. Dennis Michael Lynch launched an exploratory committee uh, about five months ago, but he has officially bowed out of that. He is not going to pursue that. So um, Christie is having serious contemplations about whether he thinks he would even have a chance of being uh, a formidable candidate. Uh, he's getting a lot of blowback from Bridgegate and um, also mm-hmm. – uh, I guess a lot of Republicans and conservatives have not forgiven him about the bear hug of 2012. They haven't gotten over that still. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that uh, a lot of people find Christie to be uh, not uh, not presidential enough. He comes out, to, he, he, right. he's a very snarky individual, and um, that's not too appealing. You know, he's very front, and he can be very blunt, and he can be pretty crude. And I don't think that's what America's looking for. So that's definitely stacked against him. And interesting, you were talking about Trump. And uh, he was on um, Bill O'Reilly's show last night. And uh, get this, you're all going to laugh at this. Bill O'Reilly asked him a couple of questions. And one of the questions is, he asked him, what is his foreign plan against ISIS? And guess what Trump said? He said, well, I have one, but... I can't say what it is because that would be giving away the information to the enemy. And O'Reilly said, well, wait a minute, but you're running for president. You have to say some sort of stance. He says, well, I know what I'm talking about. 
Then O'Reilly asked him a second question, and I was just beyond myself when he said that. He says, "What would you do uh, about uh, what would you do against Vladimir Putin and his um, invasion of Crimea?" And he said, "Well, I think Putin and I would actually really get along really well." And O'Reilly says, "Well, how do you figure?" He says, "Well, I'm a people person and I'm a business person, and I I think I'd be able to get along with him. I think we'd be able to have a good oh, working relationship." And I'm like. Oh my God! Um, oh, I was say he's a joke. Huh? Oh, forget it. Uh, I, it. This reminds me of The Apprentice, where it should be the other way around. I think the American people, at the end of the day, are going to say, "Trump, you're fired." <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to to, to end that. So we're going to go ahead and bring Kelly in, and thanks uh, uh, for you know your critique, and we'll definitely be hearing more of that uh, from you as because uh, I know the campaigning is your expertise. And it's definitely one of my passions. Um, so we'll uh, we'll definitely be hearing more from you on that. Uh, we'll be talking, of course, as things move on more and more, as we'll be talking, you know, more and more about the candidates as they go down. Because one of the things we did in 2012 that it kind of started the show, of course, was support of Newt Gingrich. Then uh, we were, you know, vetting the candidates uh, until we got to the uh, convention, and then you know we covered the convention, and then we you know moved forward to cover cover other grassroots uh, conservative uh, candidates, even some other parties after that. But I figured everyone else was covering uh, the Republicans. So why not cover uh, the grassroots who are still conservative uh, candidates, even though there are other parties, because I felt at the time and still do that uh, the conservatives uh, had the, you know, the right to know that there were other options out there. Uh, regardless of some folks thought if they were, you know, well, they can't win. Well, they still have the options to know that these type of folks uh, were out there. And so I figured, you know, why do what everyone else is doing? Uh, and so we would do something uh, different. Uh, but, we, you know, we'll, we'll see how things pan out for 2016. Hopefully things are different uh, with what the Republican leadership does. And I really wish we were able to have Cindy on tonight because she'd have a lot to say. Uh, about that because she was very uh, involved in uh, like I was in 2012 with uh, with the elections and covering those. Uh, but let's go ahead and bring it over to our resident libertarian and see what uh, your thoughts are. Now with the libertarian presidential candidates, uh, Kelly, uh, I didn't really see much uh, on those, but currently the ones that have uh, declared are Mark Feldman, uh, he's declared, and then we have a uh, Cecil Ennick, and then Steve Crabell, and then a uh, Daryl Perry. So none of those uh, we've heard of. Uh, but of course, we have a potential of again uh, Gary Johnson. But through my understanding, uh, we haven't heard anything um, uh, concrete on that. So go ahead, Kelly. Well, I got some insider information on that. Uh, I spoke with Judge Gray many months ago. Uh, yeah, Gray, we, he was on our gosh, show, we, had, we had him on too, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By the way, Robert, this is an interesting night to plug your show. Yeah, we had this guy on the show. Yeah, we had that guy on the show. Yeah, we had that guy on the show. If I say Matt Bevins, he'll say. Yeah, we, we had, had him that on the guy show. On the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, three times. That's one of Robert's <laughs> best lines. Yeah, a little self-funded. But it is so true. Robert, it, that's us, That's why it is an amazing show. He is just so capable. It's just amazing of the wonderful array of, of guests 
he brings on each week. It's like uh, a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Robert ceases to amaze me. I think that's why uh, his show uh, outranks, in my opinion, any other blog talk radio show. But uh, I just wanted to throw that in, and I mean that with all sincerity. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Well, you know, even the Republican... Yeah, even the Republican nomination is, you know, maybe Forrest Gump, the Republican nomination, they'll hack a box of chocolates, you don't know what you're going to get. All right, um, let's see. You know, I'd rather have Forrest Gump than most of these. Anyway, um, and by the way, do you know why, Forrest, you know, do you know why the Apollo 13 mission had so many problems? No, why? Because Forrest Gump was driving. All right. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm I'm going to have to nickname you. Not not only are you our constitutional scholar, we're going to have to say, a.k.a. our our most humorous panelist by far on the show, in my opinion. Certainly. Well, thank you. It's actually self-therapy because when you get into (laughs) politics, if you can't laugh, you'll go crazy. And by the way, Joe, I am stunned. I know I've heard it before, but I'm – I'm kind of doing an engineering thing while I'm listening, and I'm like stunned at how well you carefully thought through and and really gave a sharp analysis of each of these or most of the candidates. I'm impressed. Thank you. You check out his website, Kelly. Yeah, (laughs) I think he's a definite uh, positive addition to the guest panelists. Now I have to compete with somebody. All right, which is fun. (laughs) Anyway, all right, so what are we going to do here? Um, Constitutional question is... Ted Cruz eligible because he was born in Canada. Natural born is actually you were born on the soil. So theoretically, he's not possible like Obubu was not. However, they have made exceptions through the courts. There have been some rulings because military men are overseas, John McCain, and he pulled up his papers, and yeah, I'm fine, because he was thrown to the wolves on that one. He said, well, here's my papers. So Ted Cruz, um, oh, by the way, uh, he was born in in uh, what's it called Halaaka, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, hospital in Honolulu, Hawaii. Therefore, Ted Cruz is is eligible. <laughs> I'm I'm jesting here with the birthers on Obubu. Anyway, um, but they have the the court and there's certain codes that the government has set up for the military brats that um, are born overseas to naturalize or natural citizens. Naturalized is when you come in and get your green card. You're a good person. Okay, now you're a citizen. They can't run for president. Immigrants can't. But the issue of born to one or two American parents, they do have codes. I haven't researched it enough. But like um, Joe was mentioning, there are points of the Constitution that aren't clarified except by the courts. And then Congress clarifies things. So I, I can't answer that definitively. I'm not sure about Rubio either, which... Um, I do like Ted Cruz. I don't like a Rubio. I do like Ted Cruz. Um, you know, sometimes it's like the Republican Party throws candidates and supports them just so they'll bring in a block of voters. Um, you know, they're not stupid, the Republicans, because they're Latino voters with Rubio and Cruz. Mm-hmm. You got Ben Carson, the uh, you know our brothers who are black Americans in liberty. So, you know, you, you've got some really smart maneuvers there to bring in more people into the party. And so the Republicans are capitalizing. The Democrats, that's Hillary, you know, it's a no-brainer. But um, let's see, if we go one by one, of course, Robert said, you know, Nick Gingrich again, I'd say 
Ron Paul, oh, oh, he's too old. <laughs> Beat him in a bicycle race and tell me he's too old. He's extremely healthy. <laughs> he's doing more for the country now and, and speaking engagements. Maybe Newt's doing the same. But, okay, so then you got um, – so that leads to Rand Paul. I like him. I like that he physically stood and filibustered the funding for the NDAA. Of course, he was crucified to some degree. Ted was supporting him too, Ted Cruz. So I like that aspect of him. I don't – I'm not sure if he's like his father. I don't think so. In certain aspects, he is. So I'm, yeah, I don't know about Rand Paul. All right, so you got <clears> – <throat> See, Donald Trump, I can't stand the guy. I've had many multimillionaire clients. They have egos. They can't get crap done. Um, just Trump, jokes on him, like I think Joe said or you said or Robert. Let's see. Um, Huckabee, 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 Huckabee. He has great potential because he's on Fox, because he's a straight-up, general-speaking kind of guy, a little bit boring. Um, but he built up a network back in twelve. And for the, the he got the most votes per dollar. He did very well in Iowa. If he's got his network up, he could do very, very well. I think he's going to outlast several of them. Yeah. Uh, Scott Walker. No, I agree. I think he will be for Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, Scott Walker's done some stunning things in Wisconsin, busting the union. Next thing you know, the state has a surplus. So that has incredible potential. Christie, forget it. The Bridgegate, forget it. Perry, he got indicted by uh, Travis County Grand Jury. Forget it. Um, he's not that bright either, although it's not necessarily him that caused the economy to, to boom in, in uh, Texas. It's more the legislature. Of course, he'd like to take credit for that. I don't think Perry has a chance. Uh, ben Carson, really like that guy. I really like Ben Carson. He's very articulate. He just needs experience for people to trust him. So he's, I think that's going to fall on the wayside. Um, let's see, who else? Uh, name some other names and I'll kind of respond. Pataki, George Pataki. Okay, and, we, and then we're going to, yeah, and then in a, a few minutes after that, we but sounds like we're going to be able to bring Dan back in for uh, his <clears throat> comments. And I, uh, gosh, I wish we had even another hour for tonight, but unfortunately we don't. Because uh, I'm sure we can probably take up at least half of it, if not more. Uh, but yes, yeah, so the other ones. Uh, let me go back. I was actually looking at the Constitution Party uh, candidates. Uh, well, let's see. We're also for the Republicans. Uh, of course, we got Ted. Let's see. Once you didn't talk, mention uh, Carly Ferrioni or uh, Fiorina. Uh, we mentioned her, and then um, Bobby Jindal. I uh, mentioned him, and then. Uh, Let's see, one that you have it, Rick Santorum. And I'm not even going to talk about um, Trump. Yeah, yeah. Rick, Santorum, Rick Santorum dropped out of the race because he realized he wasn't constitutionally eligible. That's what happened in 12. I really like Rick. I really do. He's got some really good stuff. Um, I like him, too. Yeah, I, there's some problems there, though. But uh, then we've got Pataki, who's that? That's what everybody's going to say. Who's that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I haven't studied this much as you guys, because I've been focusing on lo- local issues. Um, but in the Libertarian Party, yeah, Gary Johnson's going to run again. Judge Gray may or may not. The thing that they are doing is they have uh, they filed a suit by now. I don't know what the status of it is, so that oh, you know the free and equal lost. will be, yeah, the free and equal debate will end up being uh, possibly the prime time scenario where instead of just two, you're going to have three. The Libertarian Party probably has the most mileage to put up a third party. Um, other than see, 
if they win the case, it's a hard case to win, actually. I've looked at it a little bit. It's really hard to win. Freedom of the press is, first of all, uh, right to contract. Another one, Hale versus Henkel, 1906 landmark case. So if they win and they have Gary Johnson up there versus the Republican and Democrat, OMG, I, I think we're going to see some really radical stuff. We could see the Libertarian Party taking votes actually from both parties. Depending upon the candidate, they could take more votes from the Democrats and the Republicans win. That's kind of like, um, oh, what's his name, the guy that would say, you that guy is sucking down. He's talked like that. He took votes away from Bush and Clinton Ross one. Perot. Ross Perot. <laughs> yeah, Ross Perot. Uh, that would be an interesting to see what happens, or maybe a third time, or the third party could actually win it this time if they get in front of the American people on the podiums. Um, Green equal, eh, it's going to get more mileage, but it's not going to do it. Um, and, of course, the Republicans sued. Uh, the Libertarian Party to, to kick them out of, uh, they tried six states, they were successful in two, uh, Gary Johnson off the ballot. So, let's see. Also, Ralph Nader, 2000, another great example. He was a third-party candidate. Mm-hmm. He ran for the Green Party. Right. He actually took away votes. They said that actually uh, he took about uh, 20,000 votes that actually tipped the scale and made it such a a, a razor march uh, thin race. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to bring up Ross Nader also was a definite game changer within that race as well. Yeah, yeah, so something to look for is the third parties definitely can steal votes, and it's debatable sometimes who the vote's taken from. Um, Jeb Bush, I'm sorry. (laughs) <laughs> I just put my stomach there <laughs> because I ate some of that alphabet soup earlier, the government agency alphabet soup. <clears throat> anyway, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, oh no, wait, wait, no, 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 wait, he's gonna win. Everybody, I'm telling everybody right now, vote for Jeb Bush. Yes, because it's the only way we'll beat Hillary. We can't have Hillary. Jeb Bush is the only one electable, and the Tea Party's gonna shove this down oh, right yeah. And all the radio shows, oh, we're going to beat Hillary. Jeb Bush is the only man I can do it. So I'm, and you know I'm what you're going to find so ironic, Kelly? Jeb is actually not going to campaign using the word Bush. He's actually going to campaign <laughs> using the word Jeb, exclamation mark. I kid you not. <laughs> well, so he he, oh, yeah, he's not going to bring that up. Here's the thing. You know what the Democrats will say, you know, if it was between Jeb, uh, Jeb and Hillary? They'll they'll be like you know what Clinton beat a bush before they'll do it again. <laughs> yeah, I, that'll be their slogan. I, 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 I just don't think. Technically, technically, you know, um, I'll just say this really quickly. Uh, if it wasn't for Ross Perot, that actually what enabled Bill Clinton to win. That gave him enough votes over George uh, George uh, Bush Senior. Bush Senior. So yeah. actually. Oh, yeah. it, Mm-hmm. Right, so actually, if Ross Perot technically was never in the mix, technically, I don't know. I think Bush Sr. would have won, and uh, so I don't know. Yeah, that's I think the Clintons. Yeah, that's debatable well, well, if the Clintons really won on their own merit. I think Perot yeah. gave him the push. Well, when, when Ross Perot said, You hear that, Jane? Second sound? <laughs> that's the sound of federal debt. <laughs> All right, well, what he really meant was, Well, you did that really well, sound? Shelley. <laughs> that's a vote. That's the vote coming out of the Republican Party for me. 
Yeah, you, you sounded anyway. pretty like. I tell you what, I liked Ross Perot the first time around. I really did. I um, second too. time, you know, now. But uh, I, I liked him the first time around. So, uh, you know, so yeah, we only got about uh, 13 minutes. And I have to spend time closing things out. Unfortunately, uh, we lost Dan. Uh, his battery uh, kinked out on him. So, uh, unfortunately, we won't be able to get any commentary from him tonight on uh, the candidates. But I do want to uh, make sure that we, you know, say thanks, Dan, for uh, your contribution tonight. I wish we didn't have those audio. Uh, but we'll uh, hear from him again. And just to get through uh, the rest of the candidates here, at least for the different parties uh, that we've seen in the 2012 uh, election. Now, uh, Darnell's kind of open to see Virgil Good running again, but it doesn't look like uh, he will. He was just, I mean, he was such a great guy. I tell you what, I got the opportunity to meet Virgil. And, uh, yes, we had him on the show a number of times as well. <laughs> He's running for president of the Constitution <laughs> Party. Right. And then, uh, but I did, I actually got the opportunity to meet him in Troy, Ohio. Uh, he was coming through uh, there from Chicago uh, doing a, uh, a third party or alternate party debate with uh, Free and Equal. And so he was going back to Virginia and he invited me to uh, have lunch with him. And, you know, which was, you know, amazing in and of itself. And so I was on my way, you know, I, just, I took some time off work uh, to drive up there. It was about a three-hour drive. And so, you know, I'm running, you know, I'm running late. And I call him. And, I mean, this is all the earth guy. I mean, I had the guy's cell phone number. And so I call him, and I said, you know, Virgil, I, gosh, I really would like to have done our interview. We got to meet and stuff like that. I said, uh, but I'm running late. I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. There's some uh, construction uh, on, on the go. way up there. You have to go. Did we lose Kelly? Okay. Well, we just uh, yeah, we just uh, lost Kelly. I hope everything's okay. Oh, I'm going to yeah, have to uh, see what's going on. Yeah, I have to see what's going on with them. Uh, I'll have to uh, text Kelly later. Best of luck with you, Kelly. On what's going on? Uh, hopefully, it's nothing serious. I just heard him say "got to go," and then I see him come off the call. And so, uh, if, if it is anything that's uh, negative out there, folks, definitely have uh, some positive thoughts out there for. Uh, Kelly, I mean, it may not be anything, but it was very abrupt and him saying, I've got to go. And then uh, we lost the line. And so I'm going to uh, be getting a hold of him shortly after the show. Um, and, of course, uh, we'll uh, keep him in our thoughts. And so, yeah, you know, with, the, with that, yeah, I got to – but he ended up saying, you know, well, I'll go ahead and wait. And he waited for me, and uh, I didn't, was able to make it. And, we uh, had a nice conversation. Uh, he actually bought my lunch, which was phenomenal of him. Got to meet his wife and, you know, have a conversation with him personally. It's uh, it was a great experience. He was a great guy. And then, uh, actually, you got to get the picture I had with him printed out. I'm horrible with that. i got all these pictures I need to print out of different things and just never have. Uh, but, yeah, so, unfortunately, he still looks like, he, at least as of right now, he's not running. And he may, I think, have been retiring from politics. Uh, but for the uh, Constitution Party, it looks like a Scott Copeland, um, who is an ordained minister and member of the, the Religious Constitution Party. And it says Scott Copeland, uh, this is a description I'm, I'm getting here uh, from him. That, oh, let me go ahead and get the website that I'm reading this from, if I can get to the the homepage of it. You know, I just Googled it, and I just Googled myself out um, <laughs> of the website. Um it, this one for like the Republicans is just 2016.republican.org. 
Candidates.org, and it's just like all these for the different parties. And, of course, last but not least, uh, I will mention the Green Party. Uh, looks like Jill Stein is doing a uh, exploratory to see if she's going to run for the Green Party again. Uh, so we'll uh, see what happens with that. I would, gosh, I'd like to sit down and have a conversation uh, with her. And we did have a gentleman, uh, Paul Glover, uh, running for governor of Pennsylvania uh, for the Green Party. We had him on. He was definitely an interesting individual to come on because he, he actually wasn't as liberal as uh, folks would uh, have thought. And definitely check that uh, episode out with uh, Paul Glover on there. You'd be kind of surprised what he had to say uh, about, you know, politics the way, uh, and about government. Uh, so definitely check that out. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, we'll uh, leave some final thoughts to you, Joe. And then uh, well, I was going to talk to Dan about uh, who our guests are on for next week. Originally we were going to have Gary Blonick on. Uh, but we were uh, an author, uh, but we're going to ha- – he had to reschedule. He had some things uh, come up, so uh, we're looking to reschedule him back in July. And so we'll look forward to that, and then we'll uh, see who we'll be bringing on next week. I just got to confer with Dan, uh, but it looks like he, we've lost their lines. So let me go ahead and leave some final comments with you, Joe, and then I'll have to uh, – close the show out for this evening. It was a great show. Thank you very much uh, for coming, Joe, and uh, contributing tonight. It's always a pleasure and an honor. Uh, Another good website I wanted to give you is, for all your listeners out there, 2016.republicancandidates.org. And it actually also has a listing. That's the one you gave, right? Yep, that's the one I was looking at. (laughs) Perfect. All right, all right. I didn't realize it. That's the one that I was looking at as well, too. So it's actually a very user-friendly site, and then it breaks it down just the way you were breaking it down. It has some hyperlinks uh, that starts with third-party presidential candidates and then female presidential candidates and so so far. Uh, uh, one interesting quick thing I wanted to get about Gary Johnson. Um, uh, he was uh, interviewed last week, and, and, in, and in his interview, uh, when he was asked about uh, Senator Rand Paul's interest into the race, he said, quote, unquote, I like the fact that he's running. I mean, of all the Republicans, he's the closest to my ideology. The things that we differ are immigration, marriage, equality, woman's right to choose, drug policy, and military intervention. So I thought that was uh, an interesting statement from Gary Johnson. Well, by the way, I do remember he left an indelible impression in 2012. I liked a lot of what he had to say. He definitely uh, had a great sense of humor uh, when he ran in 2012. Uh, and um, the great thing is uh, about this, uh, uh, about Bart's uh, logic is um, for uh, any uh, new listeners that are out there or uh, for all the loyal listeners who always uh, chime in every week, is uh, that uh, as we get more in-depth into the uh, 2016 uh, presidential elections, uh, we're going to have a lot more segments and opportunities to go more into depth as uh, the dynamics of the race change. And uh, as you can see, definitely. with the uh, definitely with the recent uh, entrance of Trump and Bush in the same week, as you can see, the uh, the dynamics and uh, of the scales are uh, changing very, very rapidly. One more thing I wanted to um, make a quick point on is 
a lot of people uh, are forgetting about Huckabee. He was the runner-up in the 2008 uh, presidential primaries Mm -hmm. uh, against McCain. So he is also a formidable candidate that not many are talking about. But then also the same thing can be said about Rick Rick Santorum, who was the runner-up in the 2012 Republican primary. He sure gave Mitt Romney a run for his life. Uh, So a run for his money, actually, as they would say. So those are definitely two people to um, look out for as formidable candidates. And uh, let's see uh, how the landscape changes uh, before August the 6th. I'm definitely looking forward to it. I'm sure your viewers are. And I'm definitely looking forward to next week's show. Um, Robert, if uh, you would like to close by uh, maybe uh, telling us, uh, giving us a little uh, a little bit uh, of, uh, of a hint of what next week's uh, guest, uh, who's next week's guest is going to be. That'd be great. Well, we are talking, uh, you know, I was talking there, chatting rather to Dan, and there's a few folks uh, that we are, you know, looking at maybe coming back on to the show that we've had on uh, previously. Uh, We're working on, you know, nailing that down. He said he was going to uh, uh, talk with them. And so, you know, we don't have uh, them quite yet uh, on who, which one of the two, because we had a couple people. Uh, that we were looking at uh, for that. So I'm trying to scroll down here and see who's probably the most uh, likely that we'll be having on. Um, So I'm trying to find this, but unfortunately we only have three minutes. So before I could find that, um, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm, I can't, I can't find the, uh, that that is the wonderful thing about your show. That's the organic nature. That's the organic nature of the show, and I appreciate exactly. that, Joe. And unfortunately, you have to close exactly. things out, and uh, but we will have someone, I'm sure. And so, uh, thank you, everyone, to coming to the show. We are looking forward to whoever we have on the show, because of course we'll probably talk about uh, things that happened during the week uh, for the GOP primary. We'll have our guest on, and then we'll be talking about uh, the subsequent shows uh, that'll be coming on. But thank you very, very much, everyone, for coming on, and of course. Uh, to keep uh, Kelly and your thoughts. I still haven't heard anything from him, but uh, hopefully I'll hear something soon. So take care, everyone. Good night. And, of course, I will end tonight, as I do every night, and that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And you can hear more of her music by going to www.aubrey, and that's with a B, aubreyashburn.com. So take care, everyone. Good night, and we will see you next week. Take care. Good night. Mm-hmm.